0: Was in the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the way. All Mimsy were the borogroves, groves, and the Moam Raths out outgabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch.
1: I hate dragons. What's up, everybody? This is the Consecrate Podcast. My name is EJ Olsen. I am joined today, for the first time ever, Nicholas Durheim. How you doing, man?
0: Oh, the one and only. I'm doing quite wonderful, as you heard by my joyful and exotic rendition of the Jabberwocky earlier. <laughs> you which know. you're probably going to use as the intro. <laughs> you know Because you are a douche. <laughs> you know it's going in. I mean, if you want me to, I'll do a clean one, because I was trying to get my, my lips to be moving... With a higher energy and purpose, <laughs> so I could enunciate clearly. You
1: can enunciate your words, unlike me. I need to focus on, on again enunciating, but also trying to to, to squash this lisp that I have, and it's very difficult. And now I sound like I am talking to a second grader who is not listening to me to me (laughs) it's not comfortable (laughs) so i'm just gonna talk like myself if it bothers you guys come say something to me on fucking twitter at e jiggle i'll block your ass uh you can find nick on twitter you can complain to him he'll relay the message he's on twitter at prush till death he will not block you the console crusade we're also on twitter collectively us as a as a duo a twosome mostly you we, well, log into that bitch. Okay. Anyway, find us on console underscore crusade. I was going to ask you about this because I wanted to tweet some things about games from it, but I, ca- I kept stopping myself because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to misrepresent the brand, AKA right. put words in your mouth. <laughs> I've, I've given you some shit about that in the past, but honestly, I don't really care. Should we tweet and then just sign, sign our tag so that people know who's saying what? yeah sure because i got, got 280
0: characters now i mean it going down
1: it going down anyway uh you can also email us i to get all this out of the way right you can email us what's the email it's feedback at dot
0: yeah or email at dot
1: preferably just the feedback one
0: doesn't matter how goes to the same place a little bit behind the curtain i made them both because i wanted to ask you which one you preferred
1: Oh, I like feedback because it that's more purposeful than just email, you know? Feedback. There's a reason that you're writing and, and sending to this
0: particular address. I love it. Email. <laughs> email. <laughs> okay. Oh, anyway. It's a call to action. I get you. I, I pick up what you're putting down.
1: Questions, comments, concerns, hit us up, email us, tweet at us. We're going to be doing listener mail, which I think I said last pod.
0: We're going to be saying the same things multiple times probably because... We're recording two different things because we had a cool little interview with a, with a friend.
1: Yeah. So on this episode, sometime in the very near future, you will be listening to an interview, well, more of a conversation, a chat with uh, my buddy Milo Kent Pettit, who's been on the podcast before, but unfortunately, you were not a part of that. But this time, we we did some some janky Skype magic. We got you on. We had a conversation. It's going to sound a lot. Well, it's going to sound marginally worse than this current conversation just due to the nature of the setup, but I think it was a really good conversation. You were hyped, which gets me hyped. Uh, I had a good time just sort of dropping eaves, sitting back and observing the two of you having a conversation. So, good stuff, but we'll get there, we'll get there. In the meantime, we got a couple of of bits we want to talk about. Nothing big. I mean, I know Gamescom's going on right now, but I feel like nothing has really happened. It's sort of...
0: Gamescom, I feel like, is a lot more of a consumer-facing show, so there's not really a lot of announcements. It's more like, hey, here's the dev diary, here's uh, there's our first playable demo, you know, because, like, games like Sekiro are playable at Gamescom, but that was already announced at E3.
1: Yeah, so I feel like every time I check the my news feed, my video game news feed, it,
0: uh... It's a lot of little tidbits, which I think will be packs next week also. Yeah, probably probably
1: nothing me- meaningful, nothing that'll move the needle. I'm sure the Nintendo Direct, which by the time you guys have heard this podcast, uh, has already passed, but I'm sure that will have more meaningful information than anything coming out of Gamescom or, or PAX potentially. So just wanted to mention kind of what transpires today, just because it's it obviously pertains to the things we like and the things we're currently talking about.
0: Well, we're recording on Sunday. It's usually, we'll be posting on Wednesday, but so just uh to- Right, a little frame of reference as
1: far as where we are in time. So earlier today, Sunday, was it the 26th? There was a shooting at, was it an EA event for the new Madden
0: game? Yeah, it was a Madden tournament held in Jacksonville, Florida.
1: So obviously that's, that's fucking awful. Uh, I think a few people lost their lives, and of course it's as often as the case... It's always at an event, you know, a concert or a or a video game fucking convention or a school. You know, it's these these seemingly supposed to be safe places, right? And that just fucking sucks, man.
0: Yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of bring it up just to have condolences for the family and friends involved.
1: It's fucking video games, man. And of course, this being relevant to us because it's, again, this is, you know, our hobby. But like I said, whether it's a concert or a school or what, it's like of all the fucking places, really. And I feel like every time there's a shooting like this, you kind of slump your shoulders and say, really of all places, we don't know any more details than that. I don't think we necessarily, you know, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole and start speculating or anything, but I do want to pose the question, but what does this kind of mean going forward for not just events like this? Like you said, PAX is coming up, you know, every time there's an incident like this sort of the becomes the hot topic for the week and talking about security and gun control and you know, what have you. So,
0: well, I know for, uh, I don't know about PAX, but I know E3, since they opened to the public last year was the first year, maybe two years ago, but they've been increasing the number of ticket sales that they're making available to the public. And this year they had a mandatory bag check for all the entrances. So I think it's just a, a learning curve, sort of figuring out how to deal with having you know thousands of people in one building. Right. And I don't know what how, how many people were at the uh, Jacksonville event, but I've seen a lot of communities kind of ask themselves, okay, how do we respond to this? How do we make our attendees more safe and make them feel better about attending, you know, because you bring it together, any large number of people and that automatically poses a security risk, unfortunately.
1: And that should be the concern, right? Is how do we make people safer at events like this? Unfortunately, hopping on Twitter, people are already starting our favorite debate, you know, violence in video games and how, how has that impacted this, this tragedy or whatever. And I, I'm, I'm all against politicizing, Tragedy to like this to fuel any sort of narrative but
0: i've also seen you know positive like call to actions like hey if you live in the florida area try to make sure that you can go give blood because that can be really helpful you know doing like GoFundMe donation things for medical costs like people come together from these kind of things too so it's nice to focus on the the good aspects when you can yeah
1: so on that on that note we're going to actually dive into the topics today. I know that's always a fun thing to lead off with, but... Yeah,
0: the other useless bullshit that we're more interested in because we know more about them and we can smile and laugh and have a jolly good time. <laughs>
1: and at the end of the day, kind of the whole point in, in any of this, whether it's us podcasting or us actually playing the games, it's, you know, it's entertainment. It's it's there for us to... W- this is our, our, our vessel for temporarily leaving the, the stresses of life, right? So...
0: Yeah, or even like opening your mind up a little bit, giving yourself a new perspective on thoughts and ideas and feelings. Right. Art is important. And video games, whether you like it or not, are kind of art. Oh, well, I just... I won't say fully art, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Michelangelo never made a video game, you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> well, that's been the Consecrete podcast, folks.
0: Oh, man, yeah, that bit never gets old, E.J. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I cut <laughs> it out of, like, every podcast. So, let's we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it makes it this time or not. Oh, God. Uh, but, you know, I actually, I did just see on on Twitter, and I, I wish I could pull up the tweet, but it's going to be super loud. Uh, Use your phone. It's silent. Oh, shit. I've got the technology. Someone was, was getting into it. I think you retweeted it, didn't you? Yeah, you definitely did. It was the guy... Talking about how everyone who plays video games, you know, there are losers, and I love those takes. They're so funny. They give me life. <laughs> they give me life. So let me just read this, and also give you context as far as who is, you know, spouting this fucking nonsense via the, the interweb.
0: Well, I found it from a an account that's called like No Fun Allowed, right? And they just they just they just screenshot things that are like people saying you can't have fun, basically in essence.
1: So this guy on Twitter. Said, if you play video games, any kind, for any amount of time, you are a loser to some extent. You are substituting real-world conquests and glory for artificial conquering of the virtual world. That matters nothing. And in quotes, he says, tell this to professional esports players, ha ha. And he's like, no, they are losers too, just to a lesser extent.
0: And also, quick uh, little, just to give you a little bit of a picture of, who this is. Also, he just says Avatar is just a picture of a car.
1: Right. Like a very <laughs> nice, expensive car. Right. So, you know, this guy, you know, I'm sure he's a self made man. Uh, based on the responses, it seems like uh, quite the opposite. This is a trust fund kid who's crying on the internet. But so, yeah, of course, it's a lot easier to go out in the, in the world and do whatever you want and, 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 You know, reap the rewards of real conquests and glory. (laughs) If you've got all the money. That's such a funny stone to throw. I know, right? So anyway, somebody said, had some big long tweet, but the last bit of it was, so kindly fuck off, stop generalizing an art form with many different layers of complexity and go back to mommy and daddy and their money. And this guy just responds with, video games aren't art. They are drugs. Art is graceful, beautiful. It frees the soul and the mind. Video games numb the mind and weaken the soul.
0: <laughs> Can that be our new byline?
1: God's <laughs> Crusade podcast: Numb the mind and weaken the soul.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that's perfect. I uh, think that perfectly just encompasses us. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's uh, it. Me. Scarily, scarily accurate.
1: I'm gonna go cry now. So anyway, that's fun. That's always a fun little deal. That kind of stuff pops up, and people on the internet, they whine and cry, and they get defensive about the thing that they like, and I get it. You know, people identify with the things they love, right? So video games is not just a thing they do. Video games is who they are, oftentimes.
0: It's a dangerous game to play. Right, And,
1: and listen, video games are not part of my identity. There are a lot of things that I love to do that are not a part of my identity. I think the relationships oftentimes that these hobbies can foster like obviously are very important to me but again it's video games as a catalyst not necessarily like the reason for you know my fucking existence
0: so and you see extremists and all all sorts of hobbies and politics and what what have you like think of a thing and think of someone who's way too into that thing right and they're probably insufferable so i think all things in moderation maybe I
1: just kind of take the shit well, because I'm, you know, as a big basketball fan, I'm used to taking shit from a lot of my friends who don't give two fucks about sports, you know? Oh, you just got a big old brain because he watches basketball. (laughs) Like, it's just... That's what sports do, man. Part of the territory of liking a thing is somebody who doesn't like it will inevitably give you shit for it, whether maliciously or otherwise. So anyway, that kind of stuff makes me laugh, uh, you know?
0: And Twitter is, uh, just to derail even further, derail... But Twitter is a... uh, a platform built on that where people say ridiculous shit and then everyone gets mad at them and then one person like uses a slur against them then they quote tweet it and be like oh see this is what you get for having an opinion and then it just turns into this whole it's just a spiral of negativity and ignorance and that's why i like to just sort of watch it sometimes and then just tweet my own dumb thoughts into the void it can be very entertaining it's been interesting to see
1: the evolution of twitter Just let's totally derail this podcast before we even fucking get on the tracks here. But why is the train not on the tracks to begin with? When is a train ever not on the tracks?
0: (laughs) When it's being made, I don't know. Or when it's flying through the air because it hit a penny that a hobo put on there to try and make a cool flat penny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We used to do that in high school, put quarters on the max tracks. Never derail the max.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, did it ever flatten the quarter?
1: Uh, I actually don't recall ever successfully doing it because it would hit and then... You would never find the quarter. <laughs> mm. The quarter lodged. So th- come to think of it, that was really dangerous. That could have just domed one of us. Like, can you imagine? Or anybody. <laughs> or, or yeah, a totally uh, unsuspecting passerby. But anyway, watching Twitter evolve. You know, I, I was on Twitter in 2008. I think you were on that year or shortly after. Yeah,
0: it was 2009. It was after I graduated. But I wasn't even really on Twitter. I would just... I would tweet the, I would I would text the Twitter number and then my texts would be tweeted. Right, right. So the only, I would just get so many text messages from people like at replying me and they would just go directly to my phone because I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have a smartphone until like 2011. Same. So like I was dumb. I was a dumb phone man. Think
1: about it, 2008, like this is right after the iPhone launch. Nobody had smartphones in 2008. There was one person in high school whose rich parents would buy the bought them, you know, the iPhone 3G or whatever and everybody wanted to touch it. You know, they, nobody had, nobody had smartphones. Smartphones weren't ubiquitous until 11 or 12.
0: The iPod touch wasn't even out then.
1: Yeah, it was out that early. I had an iPod touch in
0: 2009. I thought it was a couple years until after. Well, anyway, anyway this anyway, has been the, the, the Twitter crusade podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Twitter used to be, I mean, it still is a news platform and it still is, you know, big for entertainment and stuff, but just.
0: Yeah. I still got a lot of my news from just based purely on who I follow and they're kind of that's what they do is they tweet out the relevant news to my interests. So yeah. That's where I find a lot of my news. But I think just any platform that you get that many people and you make it that easy to communicate to each other, it's gonna be it's gonna cause a lot of tension.
1: I think I don't know who said it, but somewhere online I, I came across a thing that said, Facebook was ruined when your parents got Facebook, right? And I think about it, I'm like, that is that is super accurate. As soon as the boomers got a hold of it
0: everything with the shit and twitter's the exact <laughs> same fucking way twitter i think just has uh, a lot of people and it's really easy to weaponize your followers to attack other followers shouts to bob Mackey. doesn't matter who you're talking about that's just no i know what people do it's just an easy way for everyone to find their own circle jerk and listen to what they want to hear and attack those that don't
1: we're gonna move on to something actually video games related here we have a couple of little things to talk about, again, because it's been a slow news week uh, as far as actual video game content, but a couple of things that I want to touch on. Something we briefly mentioned. Actually, I think when we recorded last, this news had just dropped maybe right afterward. The Spyro Reignited Trilogy, which was slated for release in like, what, two weeks,
0: I believe? Yeah, I think it was the following week after Spider-Man, so about two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So...
1: Oh God, I can't believe Spider-Man's next week.
0: Did we even talk about... It was like Spyro, they couldn't fit the... The first game was on the disc, but the second two weren't. Yeah, we mentioned that.
1: And you had speculated, again, that... Was that because they got the first game running, but they're having tons of issues with the last two games, and so...
0: Potentially, or even not necessarily tons of issues, but they submitted the first game for certification, and that got passed, so that was what would be printed on the disc. Right. But I think that based on either the feedback of everyone being like, hey... I don't want to download 40 gigs of two games. I want it just on the disc and maybe potentially them saying, Hey, September is a really busy month. November is looking a lot better for this kind of game. That Activision was like, you know what? Let's just push it back. I mean, it's Spyro. It's kind of low stakes as it is,
1: which is a huge bummer. And as much as I, I wish it were coming out sooner rather than later, like you're right. It's, it's small potatoes and by pushing it back, and here's where we kind of differ I'm I'm a fan of getting the game out there and then it's like hey you've got time to fix it once it's gone gold and, and you're a fan of say hey push it back and release a game that's finished. Obviously that's what they're doing here. It seems like they push it back. They're gonna finish the game. Like that's that's good. At least I'd rather that than have a game release and then you know do the Final Fantasy 15 thing. Obviously this is a game on a much much. Smaller, a much different scope, but you know, or even
0: just the, the the YouTube videos and the Twitter posts and the Reddit comments of being like, "Hey, this game's broken," or "The frame rate's really bad." Why are the second two games so like choppy when the first works so well? Right. I, I'd rather just have a for me personally as an experiencing the game. I'd rather experience it and enjoy it the entire way through with everybody else enjoying it all the way through, as opposed to like I like it, but everyone else is talking shit about it. And now I just feel bad about liking it,
1: right? Or whatever reason you know. I can wait. You know, Spider Man comes out again a week before it was originally slated for release. So as much as I, I really want to play this game, because Spyro 1 and 2 were some of my favorite childhood games, you know, my first PlayStation game was Spyro, I really want to experience this again, remade, remaster, whatever. You know what? I can wait. Oh, Spider-Man. I'm going to be going a little crazy on that.
0: Yeah, you can you can not play a, an Insomniac game. You played 20 years ago and play an Insomniac game that comes out in a week. Right?
1: <laughs> That's a fair trade-off.
0: That's very interesting. I remember reading something about how Uh, toys for bob who are the ones that are making the spyro trilogy they actually they're actually pretty close by to where insomniac is located so they went over and like hey can we like look at design documents and see what's going on and like showed them their current work and was like do you approve and they got like the the thumbs up or whatever i just thought that was kind of cute it's kind of cool just to hear about i mean they're competitors clearly because they're not the same company but it's just interesting to hear about companies getting along and sharing work and it's just a nice feeling thing.
1: Well, it's well, like you said on the last podcast, when when referring to you know Inafune leaving Capcom and and a lot of the people in that company not wanting to you know continue without him at the helm. I
0: really want to find that that interview because there was like a I guess there was like a big piece written about that a while back, and I think Inafune had some choice words to say when he left Capcom, also because he was just so frustrated with their corporate culture at that time right so i'd really like to do some research and actually know as opposed to getting secondhand knowledge sure
1: but i think that the sentiment still stands people are making these games right so when you say you know this company met with this company to go over and and played well together it's like it's not the corporate entities shareholders and stocks and big dollars it's just some dudes yeah just some freaking regular old joe's you know, just getting together to talk video games.
0: Yeah, grab some coffee, chit-chat about a game that came out 20 years ago, with the cute purple dragon. Yeah. I don't know. That, that kind of stuff just, it warms me heart.
1: And I think the video game industry is better across the board when corporate relationships like that do exist. Mm-hmm. You know, like those games are going to be better off that team having met with the original team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just, we're going to get a better game for it.
0: Yeah, and even like, even if it's really cheesy... Uh, I don't know if you watched the uh, announcement trailer for Diablo 3 right. from mm-hmm. the Switch, that the video with Reggie and uh, whoever the CEO of uh, Blizzard is, I think his name is Brian. They're just having the, this cute little fake Skyped call. <laughs> it's just funny to see, like watch these two dudes interact that are like, Blizzard hasn't put a game on a Nintendo console in like a long time since probably the DS, I think.
1: I'd be a lot more of a fan of that. If Reggie wasn't so useless to what Nintendo actually does, that sounds really shitty because he's a great meme and hes I'm sure he's a swell guy, but I find that a lot more adorable when it's, you know, Miyamoto or or Sakurai doing something goofy because those guys are actually doing something.
0: <laughs> we can break down and I, like try to figure out what is it that Reggie actually does? And I'm like, he's a forward-facing figure. He's a PR guy.
1: He's a PR guy.
0: Yeah. For anyone that does nothing. If Miyamoto's in a video, he's in a PR role, and I think what Reggie is, is he chief operating officer or chief executive officer of NOA?
1: I'm not sure. But again, NOA is basically all, all they do is, is localize and, and market games. They're not making games.
0: That's an important uh, aspect and to deciding what vent, like ventures they go on, right? If something sells really well, then that gives them incentive to continue doing that thing. And that's like part of what marketing does. It makes sure things sell well and give you the figures and the the numbers back to the headquarters and say, Hey, this was what this did. This drives traffic and blah, blah, blah. All The, the nuance was this in our group chat.
1: that somebody that's got brought up and somebody said he hasn't given us mother three yet.
0: So I don't give a shit or something. Was that probably <laughs>
1: it's like, I was like, listen, Reggie ain't ever getting you nothing. Cause he can't, Yeah,
0: to be fair. I also don't want to talk shit about Reggie. Cause I don't want him to shoot fireballs at me or blast me with his laser vision.
1: What about mother three? <laughs> I feel like that gets brought up on the podcast like every other episode. It's good. It's a good bit. But anyway, Spyro. Delayed until November. Yeah, mid-November. It's going to be fine. I'm not worried about it. But speaking of fucking janky games that released broken and, and prematurely and never got fixed, the Halo Master Chief Collection is somehow relevant again in 2018.
0: Yeah, this is a long time coming. They've been working on this for years. So a couple of reasons
1: here why this is in the mainstream again and being talked about. So to provide some context, this game came out, oh God, three years ago? Four years ago? I thought it was 2014 and Halo 5 was 2015. Okay, so four, yeah, four years ago. Yeah, November 14. Uh, So on the surface, this was awesome. And to be fair, as a single player or a local co-op experience, it was awesome. I actually don't know trying to think if I actually played the the Master Chief Collection couch co-op. Regardless, uh, they ran well, kind of switching back and forth between the the old graphics and the new graphics, the old sound and the new soundtrack. You know, I got a kick out of that. So I played through uh, the first Halo and, you know, enjoyed it for what it was. But one thing I never did was play online. And that is where this game was never able to get off the ground because the online was absolutely broken. Multiplayer was useless and remained that way for four years. And of course, Halo, a Halo made Microsoft with the Xbox live platform or made the Xbox brand anyway. And, you know, Halo continues to still be a strong selling franchise only because of that multiplayer uh, aspect. And so for this Holy grail collection to come out and have broken multiplayer, like what the fuck's up with that?
0: Yeah, that, that doesn't look good. That, I mean, that, on top of how poorly the Xbox One launched was really just a big black eye for, for Microsoft. Yeah, not not a great couple of months there. That's a year. Xbox came out 2013. Oof. It's a rough 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's bad news.
1: So anyway, the, the Master Chief Collection is getting a little bit of an overhaul in anticipation of its release on the Xbox Game Pass, uh, which comes at the beginning of the month, I believe. And so uh, 4K resolution, HDR color. Cool. All right.
0: Great. And from what I understand, they really had to go through and like completely retool a lot of those games just based on how kind of cobbled together they were initially and then trying to remake it for a current generation. uh, Stuff falls apart. And some cool stuff they did was they uh, re rendered like cutscenes in 4K. Right. For those that care and like want that, that, that matters. But I just thought that it was kind of interesting that they spent. They spent four years working on this game, and it's going to Game Pass, so it's not like they're going to be seeing a bunch of $60 like, purchases coming from this. It's just Microsoft saying, hey, we, we screwed up, and we're going to make good on it. And I like those kind of stories in games, too. It's just like, they're not going to make a lot of money off of doing this thing. It's just a, a make good.
1: You know, obviously a necessary step, not only considering Microsoft's missteps, but also, you know, Halo 5 was not... Did not sell Gangbusters. It reviewed. It was pretty lukewarm in its reception. So for them to to stick with this and it's they're building more of that goodwill, obviously, and a lead up to a inevitable Halo Six, right? Infinite. It was already announced. Infinite. Right, right, right. I see. I. <laughs> so many things be happening. They actually already released. Do you remember they released a a a remaster of Halo Three ODST's campaign? as like a hey we're sorry
0: yeah that was their first make good yeah. yeah and so anyway this is cool that they're doing it again microsoft is how about this microsoft how about you give us reach huh oh, well they did make
1: it backwards compatible and that game was modern enough that i feel like that i don't need to remaster of that
0: it's was Reach the last bungie halo game I, I i don't know it's the last one i played <laughs> I know, but i don't know i'm gonna go out on a on a very safe limb and say that it was but it's interesting that they haven't remastered that one. I know it's the Master Chief collection, but I don't think Master Chief is in ODST, so they kind of screwed the pooch on that one anyway. So.
1: What the fuck are we even doing? I've played all the Halo games in some capacity. Some to completion, right. some not. All of them, yes, I played the multiplayer. Halo Reach has the best Halo multiplayer.
0: Do not at me. I don't know if I ever played Halo uh, Reach online. Well, okay. so You have to make that distinction. <sighs> that matters.
1: That's just true. I just mean as far as the pace of the game, the weapons in the game, the maps in the game, just the overall experience. We played couch co-op, split screen. The DMR in the game, oh, baby. And oh. being able to choose like you you had like either the jetpack or like sprint.
0: Yeah, the loadouts were interesting. I did like how in later games they just made it so you can always sprint,
1: which is sort of a uh, you know, a first it person the shooter. Yeah, I mean I feel like that's a necessary edition so that's good anyway good on you microsoft another
0: another tantalizing uh game to be put on game pass yeah like they're making a lot of money off of that service and it it's because it it's a cool service if i had an xbox i would use it
1: was it 10 bucks a month i believe so i'm curious to know what games are on this on this service obviously the the all the, the first party games from your gears of war your your
0: halos well, I don't know if any of the old ones are, but I know that going forward from when they announced it, it's uh, all first-party games are going to be day-and-date on Game Pass. So, like, Sea of Thieves and State of Decay 2 we're both on there.
1: Mm. I'm not finding just a, a comprehensive list.
0: Yeah, I would imagine it that, it that it rotates. So, sometimes stuff falls off, sometimes shit gets added, you know?
1: Honestly, this is a very enticing package.
0: You're probably getting, like, the... Not the last of a triple A franchise, but maybe the fran- the the game before that. So you're probably getting a lot of Assassin's Creeds in there, getting a lot of, you probably even get like Two K eighteen in there and that kind of that kind of stuff.
1: Man, this li- I mean everything from from PUBG to the Metro games to things like the Division, the new Just
0: Cause game. Like, well, not the new one. Just Cause Four comes out in December. Right, right. These are all these are
1: all upcoming. So it's like you're getting these these staple you know, AAA experiences
0: coming straight to the platform. Just Cause 4 is going to be on Game Pass? Or is it going to be like a, if you have it, you get it for cheaper? Unless I'm looking at the wrong list
1: here, which I am liable to fuck this up. (laughs) But I went to the Xbox Game (laughs) Pass website and then clicked all Xbox One games. And that's the list I'm looking at. So unless it took me elsewhere...
0: That might just be all the Xbox One games, dude. That would be...
1: Very unintuitive. That'd be this, super funny. Of this website. <laughs> Ignore everything I just said, folks. I'm done looking. I'm over Microsoft. I don't give a shit anymore. We're moving on. I do want to talk about a game that I feel like is going to be right up your wheelhouse. And I want to talk about it for a few reasons. Okay. okay. But the game is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Yeah, boy. This is a from software game. Okay. Souls, Bloodborne. I mean, these are.
0: Your kinds of games, right? So... Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, I've only started playing them a couple years ago. It's a very new addition to my repertoire. To be fair, you also
1: only just got back in the games
0: a couple of years ago. Yeah, well... So as an adult... I've heard it it both ways. (laughs) Fair. Fair.
1: But you, I mean, you went ham on these games, man. Like, you played through all three Souls games and then picked up Bloodborne.
0: I haven't played Dark Souls 2 yet. Wait, you haven't?
1: No. So you played three and then you went back to one. Is that right? Yeah, which I haven't. I haven't
0: beaten one either. Well, goddamn! Fucking get good, dude. I put in thirty <laughs> hours like two separate times, and kind of just fell off because other things happened. But once it comes out on Switch, that's the time I'll I'll beat it.
1: That's <laughs> and the Then time. Dark Souls two,
0: I'll get around to after I beat Dark Souls one, which hopefully I'll do before Sekiro, so I'll never play a Sekiro.
1: <laughs> you beat Bloodborne, correct?
0: Yes, I did, and I was just sort of playing through the uh, DLC. However long ago that was.
1: So I obviously. I want to get your take here in just a sec as far as what you think of this game. But a couple things mm. to note. First off, is this game something that From Software is confident in? Why are they releasing it? I'm hitting my fucking mic here. Why are they releasing this game in March?
0: That's where they release their games generally. That's April, was when Dark Souls 3 came out. Bloodborne came out in March or April also. I think they've just found a good success in that, that window.
1: I wonder if the strategy is sort of. Listen, we we know our base, and our base knows what they want, and that's who's buying these games. So, they can release it sort of in a lull in between some of the bigger releases, and they're not going to be impacted one way or the other. Because you yeah, know.
0: I mean, if you are in a in a if you make a name for yourself in a way that From Software has, and you have a very specific like niche audience that you're reaching, I don't think it really matters what time of year you're releasing. So, like you said, March. What else is coming out every year at March? They don't have to worry about the big Triple A yearly franchises. And I don't think they're too bothered by like making uh, quarters and like dealing with financials. Right. Especially because interestingly enough, this game isn't actually being published by Bandai Namco or Sony. It's being published by Activision. Which is very bizarre because Activision has not gone out of their way to publish something that they're not the ones developing in years.
1: Is that a testament to Activision's confidence in this title
0: perhaps i'm not sure hmm it's interesting it looks really good and i feel like i'm waiting to hear more information about it like i've seen a lot of gameplay and a lot of well not even a lot but like i've seen gameplay they've shown more gameplay at gamescom it's playable there so that they've been kind of showing hey there's, there's some cool mechanics here's the it's more stealth based it's more action based also it's not an rpg i don't think they're le- you're leveling up uh, stats like you are in the souls games or in bloodborne that that strikes me as odd and it's a lot more mobile there's a jump button you have a grappling hook love that you have this prosthetic arm that you swap out and you get different abilities based on it like one has a flamethrower so you can shoot like a fireball and then when you slash through it your sword becomes a flaming sword and then you can set enemies on fire with it i'm in i'm already in so it's just uh it's like hey this is like dark souls but it's also not like dark souls at all so I think that's a a cool place to be exploring, especially from them, and I feel like they've been on the record, especially their head dude that's been behind the Dark Souls series, Miyazaki, where he's been like, you know, this is the last Dark Souls game after Dark Souls three. Don't really want to touch that series anymore. And they're so creative. It, like you, even you played Bloodborne and you had a a moderate success with playing that, especially when you're playing co op. But yeah, I'd be very interested to see what they do with Sekiro.
1: So, here's where I I stand on it. This game looks fucking beautiful. I was looking at gameplay before we started recording, and it just
0: looks gorgeous. But a couple of questions I have about it. The camera seems pulled back a little bit further, too, so you have a better range of vision. Seems like with the prior games, they've purposefully kept it close up behind your character, so you have a little more claustrophobic vibe. And also, you weren't very mobile in those games. Like, you didn't have a jump, really. You kind of did, but it wasn't about moving around. It was more about... I don't want to be between a cliff and the enemy because I will be pushed off the cliff by the enemy. Right. Like your spacing was more like you had to be, you had to pay very close attention to that. But it seems like this is more forgiving. You have a jump button. You have a, like I said, the grappling hook. The verticality is a different kind of exploration where you're actually going up as opposed to strictly falling down and trying to navigate that way. It's interesting. It seems like it's more empowering to you as a player, which isn't something they've really explored that much before.
1: It's the current year. And for any game not to have a jump button is ludicrous.
0: Especially when Zelda had a jump button. Come on. And it was on the X. Come by default. On. <laughs> Top button jump. I hope you can jump with Triangle in Sekiro. Ugh.
1: Let's just really take this back to two thousand five
0: here. Yeah, because that was so prevalent in two thousand five. I think it was only prevalent in like Shadow of the Colossus.
1: Well that's what I automatically associate with like bad controls is like mid two thousands PS two games.
0: Just because you're bad at controls doesn't mean that they're bad controls. Wow, dude. Right. Good, good. So,
1: this is interesting to me. A precipitous incline, okay, of Japanese samurai-inspired video games with Neo. Now we've got Sekiro coming out. Going going to be going toe-to-toe with Ghost of Tsushima.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have no idea when that's coming out. That could be a 2020 game.
1: Fair. It could be, but... All of the hype surrounding it. And Neo just got a sequel announced. Right? So I'm curious. I'm not even curious. I'm confident this is what's happening. Is we just got wind that there's no Assassin's Creed next year. They're going to take another break, which I think is a great idea. The last time I took a break, they put out one of the best Assassin's Creed games.
0: Bro, did I tweet this out? Wait, did you tweet this out? I totally tweeted this. I swear to God, I must have. Either was in the group chat. I called it AC Ronan. Oh, you did tweet this out. You definitely did. Okay, how long ago
1: was this? It was a couple days ago. But I have no doubt that it is happening now. Just given, I mean, this is just like Ubisoft to like just be a little bit late. We're gonna be coming on the basically on the heels of four samurai games in the action platforming genre.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, these games are in development for years and years. I think when Odyssey was announced. They had said that they'd been working on it for three years. That game was in development while Origins was also in development. They were trading back assets back and forth, you know? Right. That's, the way, that's the way Ubisoft does it. They've got like 50 studios worldwide, and they all just be like, Hey, this is what I made. Check out my boat tech. We're really into boat tech. They love boats. They're making a game about boats. What? The Skull and Bones. It's an online boat game. <laughs> what do you... Like, like are, you, are you building boats? Are you Are you sailing boats? Are you battling with boats? It looks like the Black Flag combat on the boats, but it's PvP where you're the boat and you're shooting other boats and you're getting treasure and you have to navigate the wind. Have you not paid attention to the last two E3s? Who am I talking to? Dude. Why do I have a video game podcast with you? <laughs> bro, I pay attention to things I care about. And let me tell you, the Ubisoft conference is wonderful. They always start with dancing pandas and then Yves Guillemot has a nice little crying speech about... Hey, we beat off Evendi. Of we are finally free. Check out this game that's not coming out for 15 years. It's called Beyond Good and Evil 2. And they're like, hey, check it out. Just Dance 2019 coming out to the Wii. All right, now let's check out The Crew 2. Nobody cares. All right, let's go on to the next Assassin's Creed. <laughs> it's lovely. It's a great conference every year. Big fan. <laughs> when, subscribed. With this shit.
1: Goes on and the conference is playing. I'm in the shower with the volume turned up just barely loud enough for me to kind of hear it in between.
0: That's a long shower. That's like a, that was an hour and a half conference.
1: I'll catch the highlights. And if it's not on the highlights in my newsfeed, I don't know about it. Boy. Boy, I I tell you what. Ubisoft is definitely finally going to Japan. I have no doubt about it after seeing just the, not only the, the popularity, but the success you know, sale-wise. I mean, Neo is...
0: Nah, dude. They're totally going to to Norway next. And they're going to fight the God of War enemies. Is that what's going to... They're going to jump on that fucking bandwagon? <laughs> I don't know. I only bring that up because there's like... There's something in uh, the God of War where it hints at... Oh, check it out. There are these other mythologies that Kratos can totally attack. Like, they show like uh, the Eye of Horus. And... Mm just recently they showed some like behind the scenes like in dev stuff where they're tooling around with the idea of kratos going to egypt as opposed to the nordic areas for this game so I would have been really weird if that came out the same year as a as a or four months after assassin's creed that would actually be really cool i'm sort of sick of the whole just the ancient nord aesthetic like
1: that's every rpg ever i feel like
0: but i mean that is very that's very uh no it's very tropey Inspirational for high fantasy because that's what Tolkien got a lot of his inspiration from, and that's what right. everybody else steals from. right He is the disseminator of the elves and gnomes and stuff. Gnomes, <laughs> you don't and go, the dwarves. You don't go, you don't go trolls or, or or dwarves. You go gnomes. I saw Frozen. I know what the love trolls are about. Okay,
1: I've never seen Frozen. It's okay.
0: It's not great. It's okay.
1: I. anyway, Sekiro. it'll be cool. Uh, something interesting that you brought up with me that I want to jump over to. As you can see, I'm really great at
0: Segways. Yeah, that's what they call you, Segway EJ. Segui J. J. Hey. It's your Italian name.
1: <laughs> oh, God. PlayStation. Obviously, they've sold a fuck ton of units, 70 million worldwide. 80. PS4, 80 million.
0: Christ on a fuck. Right? That was like the last thing. That was the... They haven't... Yeah, they haven't surpassed uh, PS3 yet, but they're getting close. Getting close. And that that was the... What would you call that? The catalyst for... They're selling a 500 million across all platforms. Yeah. They're selling that special edition PS4 Pro. Which they only made 50,000. Hey man, that's like way more than the 20th anniversary of PlayStation 1 they made. That was extremely limited,
1: but... Yeah. This is something that went up for pre-order the other day, sold out immediately. They shouldn't have said
0: how many they're making. No, because that... Yeah, that instantly
1: made people who wouldn't have otherwise cared about it turns into a chase product that's that's bad news that's bad it's like it's not like the thing wouldn't have sold anyway right can i be honest with you yeah please for once for, yeah. everything everyone's heard from me on this podcast has been a lie <laughs> so initially nick when this got brought up and everyone was you know hemming and hawing and Ooh, look how beautiful this thing is i was like oh yeah wow oh wow to be honest with you, the more I look at the thing and the, I've seen an unboxing, it's just like, I'm like, eh, okay, it's, it's a blue PlayStation. Like, it's not, it's not gorgeous to me. It's not, it's just, it's a blue PlayStation and it's made uglier by the fact that you can see like the little silver, like you can see the, um, uh, the little shield that they put on the inside to protect your brain from falling out or whatever it does. From right, the-
0: that's what it does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just like, it's not it's not that pretty. It's just a fucking dark blue PlayStation and it's rare. You know, I I, I think and I may may have mentioned this before, but the PlayStation exclusive, uh the Spider-Man exclusive PS4
0: is gorgeous. I would like the Spider-Man more if it wasn't as glossy. And I would like this one more if it wasn't as glossy either. It doesn't have to be like fully textured the way that the standard PS4 is, but it's just a little bit too reflective. You know? Give it a satin sheen, you know? A satin sheen. All right. Give me me that matte goodness. Give
1: it that satin sheen. Is that uh, Charlie's brother?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking satin sheen. He Actually, changed his name to Satin Estevez after his mother. (laughs) I do like the controller a lot. I think that controller, I'm glad they're selling the controller and the headset separately. Hopefully, they're going to make those in larger quantities because those are pretty cool looking. IMO. And I'm more into controllers than I am the console itself.
1: Well, I mean, because they're, they're obviously so much cheaper and they're infinitely fucking collectible. You just get right. a, a rack of beautiful controllers. Like, there's nothing more satisfying. And you can have two
0: controllers and you're not like, well, what would I do with the other one? It's like, you put it in the drawer and you use it sometimes. And also, it doesn't st- stick out and look weird in my entertainment console. Right. That's why I do like the dark blue. I, th- I think it'd be really funny if they went with that weird uh, clear teal that they had for the PlayStation in Japan. Right. You've seen that? You uh-huh. know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. That would have been really funny just to be another little throwback. Another little nod. But also, to be fair, I do like the copper. I will say that I do like the copper. I'm not too crazy about the, the shininess of the PlayStation 4, the plastic of it. And you're right that having those like radiation shields or the heat shields that they have on the inside makes it less enticing to actually see in, inside the guts of it. It's like, well... It's just a. Why would I want to look at it's this? Clear plastic and a piece of sheet metal. Like it's. It's. I can't even see a circuit board. I can't even pretend to understand that this is what is making the game go.
1: <laughs> no, it's just fucking ugly. But anyway, all of this was to say that PlayStation hit seven million units in Japan.
0: Right. Which, compared to their eighty million worldwide.
1: But just to put this into perspective, here this is also compared to uh, less than a hundred thousand Xbox units. In Japan.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. They, they Xbox has never sold in Japan. No, never. Never had any fucking grand to stand on. If you look at the, the media crate, because this is pulled from media crates, they make this information public as opposed to, it's way harder to keep track of how many retailers there are in uh, the US and all, that's, all that stuff is secret for some reason, because corporations and whatever. But media crates, they track and I believe the Vita, the PlayStation Vita. Right, outsold all SKUs of the Xbox One by like tenfold this past week. Wow, I think fifty Xbox Ones sold in, in Japan last week.
1: I, I would love to speak to one of those fifty people who in twenty eighteen. What about the people buying a PlayStation Vita? Well, that makes plenty of sense given their market. Like the Vita is affordable. There are a ton of great games. It's a nice little indie machine.
0: It's not that affordable. I mean, you can go get one for like a buck fifty right now. Where? I got mine for 150 on Amazon. I don't know if you can get them for that cheap on Amazon. The last time I checked, they were selling for 200, okay. and they had not gone down. And I I was checking after you had bought Oof. yours. You must have gotten yours on a sale or something. I must
1: have. If you're spending 200 on a Vita, and it's between that and the switch at 300, like come, on, you're fucking up.
0: And you have to spend another 100 just so you can store two games on your Vita anyway. Yeah, it's true. But they're proprietary memory cards that never got cheaper. I think the PS the PSP memory cards are still at msrp you know 15 <laughs> years later that's so egregious right just an interesting tidbit i wanted to share with you because i was talking about it last week right about how playstation they're doing better in japan than they usually do i think i think ps3 wasn't doing that hot because it was so expensive but just to put it in perspective uh nintendo switch is not yet at 5 million but getting close to 5 million in japan the switch yeah so that's like a quarter of their sales yeah as opposed to less than a 10th of uh, Sony sales.
1: Well, the last thing though, I want to jump to here before we, we send our listeners off to this interview with Milo. And I want to bring this up only because I have some recent experience with this, but you mentioned it to me earlier, the uh, Vive wireless adapter uh, that was announced and we can pre-order starting next week.
0: Right. And I, I just shared that headline with you basically, because I hadn't looked into it at all. I just saw that that was a thing. And we saw it last year there were some Chinese companies that were making wireless adapters for, I'm not sure if it was Vive or Oculus, but it was like, it wasn't an OEM kind of thing. Right. It was just sort of a, a kitsch bent kind of, hey, let's try to put it all together. We'll fake it. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, they, they couldn't have been worth using, right? If they had a latency low enough, I haven't seen any firsthand impressions. I just remember, I think that was GDC 2017 where those were being demoed and people were saying, hey, yeah, it's... I'm not getting sick. So you would get sick if you look to your left and then the screen looked to the left, you know?
1: Right. Well, according to their, their advertisements, ultra low latency. Like what does that actually mean in practice? Right? Like what's that fucking millisecond response, brother? I need to know. I need some numbers.
0: It's gotta have to be a very small
1: response time. Well, so on the website, it says that it requires an available PCIe slot on your, your PC. And so, Hmm. I'm like, okay, like that's promising that we're right, you know, we're not going through USB cables and HDMI slots. Uh, we're plugging right into this bad bitch, and so that's that's promising. Uh, I was actually just using at the time of this recording, I was using the Vive last night. Oh, really? What were you doing? I was at a, a co worker's house and they were doing a little VR night, which basically turned into us just playing Beat Saber, dude. i that, that game looks so much fun. It's <laughs> for our listeners out there who may not have heard of this, it is. Guitar Hero with lightsabers. And so each hand with the Vive setup is a different colored lightsaber. And you put the VR headset on and you've got the the musical notes.
0: The charts, as it were. Right.
1: Rushing at you. So you're not only hitting them, hitting the blocks as they pass you, but you're also... There are arrows on them, so you have to go in a particular direction, right? Right. But then there are also stage hazards, so you have to... You have to duck, you have to jump side to side to avoid these big blocks or these big walls coming towards you. So looking or watching somebody doing this is absolutely ridiculous. What I did learn, Nick, as an aside, not a very good party game. You get a kick out of it at first watching someone look like an idiot, but like next thing you know, you just got a room with nine people watching one person fucking play a five minute song. Everyone just kind of sits there on their phone waiting for their turn. It's not, it's not a really good party game. The way Guitar Hero is.
0: Well, I think even Guitar Hero falls apart if you get that many people going. Unless you've got something like Rock Band where you have individual people being able to play different instruments. Right, right. At least get four people going in Rock Band.
1: It was funny. We were setting up and, you know, my buddy's got his PC and he's setting up the the perimeter with the uh, sensors all the way around right. the room. And the chaperone. Right, right. He's getting everything set up and it, it took like, you know, half an hour. And I'm like, wow, man, VR. Very intuitive. The future of <laughs> gaming. <laughs> like, he's destroying the living room and hanging cables across. So anyway, this, this wireless adapter is interesting to me because I feel like not just expediting the process of setup and teardown and, and actually jumping in and playing, but just the freedom of movement. You know, when I was playing, I had to face with my back to the TV. So I'm staring at everybody sitting on the couch awkwardly. And even oh, though you know, I'm in a headset. It's just weird. You know, they're all just looking right at me and I couldn't, if I tried to move, cause you know, I'm dodging these, these, these pillars and these walls. You try not to, you know, get star Fox into a million pieces. I'm, I'm tethered to this giant cable hanging down the back of my head. Your predator braid. Right. Which is super sick in concept but then you wear it and you're just yanking back and forth and you feel like you're going to rip the whole thing off the fucking back of the computer.
0: Yeah. It seems like that'd be very unimmersing. Right. So this is,
1: this is the next step in, in virtual reality kind of hacking those fucking tethers off. And I'm all about it. I'm all about pushing this technology forward. And you know, again, I don't think this is the future of video games, it's sort of a lateral movement. It's its own, you know, piece of the pie and that's cool. And Yeah, and I'd, I'd,
0: I'd put it up there with like touchscreen gaming. It's a different input, you know, it's right. sort of, I would say it's kind of close to that.
1: Right. And it changes the way you interact with things and it changes the things you can do and that'll push developers to be more creative. And that's cool. I want to see what the peak of that technology in this, you know, form, what it looks like. And this right. is the yeah. next step to getting that.
0: Hell yeah. So, Into that. Yeah. That, and the next will be uh, what people call inside out tracking. Where instead of having... Because you said you were playing a Vive. Did you have like the, the towers for the cameras in the corners of the room? Yeah. So what an inside-out tracking does, it puts the cameras on the headset itself. So then you don't need cameras pointing at you. You have cameras pointing out. And that just automatically tells, oh, there's a wall this far away. Because it has like infrared. That kind yeah. of stuff.
1: That can't be too far away.
0: You know, that has
1: to be right around the corner.
0: And then other stuff like different controller support and getting more... Having a controller, it's more like a glove I feel like would be really cool yeah, in a VR power scenario. Love. Power glove. It's so Bring bad. It back. I love but it. We need the the wizard two with VR power gloves.
1: <laughs> what podcast was I just listening to where they just kept talking about the wizard? I
0: don't know, but it's a great movie apparently that I haven't actually seen, but I know <laughs> it's like, it's pretty much just a big ad for super Mario brothers three. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It was actually like sponsored by Nintendo. I think cause he's going to the Nintendo, the Nintendo world championship. Oh, okay. and they're playing uh super mario 3 before the game came out Ooh, whoa little fun fact fred savage you know
1: can you imagine if that young, happened today young wonder years boy right him and his adorable little afro beautiful man i think that's all that's on our list today uh as far as sort of news stuff goes i the last thing the last last thing that i want to talk about and i wish i had let off with this now that i'm thinking about it but we're here we're an hour in clever editing Anything is possible. (laughs) Anything is possible! (laughs) Shouts to my boy, Kevin Garnett. We talked about, in the last podcast, games we've been playing. I think we briefly mentioned Dead Cells as something you had touched. Something that I was interested in maybe looking at. I don't know if we actually did or not, or if that was off-pod, but...
0: Well, I mean, we mentioned it in the context of the plagiarism scandal, but... I was more hoping that you would be getting to Octopath Traveler this week so we could finally talk about that, but I feel like that is uh, something that you have not played, I'm guessing.
1: No, because I got absolutely sucked into Dead Cells. That's awesome. And Nick, I, I told you this before, but I think roguelikes are my genre, or at least one of them. Good ones, at least. I mean, I've only played three roguelikes, to my knowledge. I'm trying to think here, but... To my knowledge, I've only played three, and I've loved all three. The three being Binding of Isaac, uh, Rogue Legacy, and now Dead Cells.
0: I would say those are three Rogue not lights, not Roguelikes. likes Ooh, explain to me the difference here. It's the difference between Final Fantasy VI being an RPG and the new Assassin's Creed being an RPG. It's more further away it from the inspiration from the the source material
1: so this is more of an amalgamation of of a variety of genres and subgenres that make a unique experience than
0: right because rogue is the roguelike genre is more narrow than the games that you've that you've stated most roguelikes do not have any progression whatsoever between runs which you don't Uh, like okay nope absolutely not so you don't like roguelikes okay you like rogue lights because you like that sense of progression and getting a little bit further each time not yeah. based on purely your merit and luck but based on both your skill improving but also there are numbers going up yeah. and you're you're getting more tools to help you traverse and defeat enemies and explore the area in which you're thrown into
1: okay you learned something new every day nick so it's a rogue light that I have taken to and, you know, binding of Isaac is like a twin stick shooter,
0: right? It's like Zelda. If it was a twin stick shooter, right? Like top down OG Zelda,
1: right? And you know, rogue legacy is, uh, an action platformer as is dead cells. So you, you also picked up dead cells and you played a little bit, but I'm assuming you only yeah. probably put in two hours or so.
0: If that, I, I mean of actual play time, maybe half an hour to an hour a lot of it was just sitting around because I was over hanging out with friends and I just bought it and was tooling around with it, trying to see if I could pick up what was different from when I played it in early access last year. Okay. Cause that's when I first heard about it and I checked it out on steam and it was, it was a much more bare bones experience, but it was still like very playable and it's a early access state. They just sort of added some more, I guess, enticements to keep you playing. Like there weren't any people that you could talk to. When I played it. Oh, okay.
1: Right off the bat, you jump into this game and it doesn't burden you with, you know, tons of dialogue or trying to, you know, no story set up. You know, the the narrative is very sparse. It's interesting enough for what it is and for what's there, if that's what you're into. But for me, it's just, I want to get plopped down. and I want to play the damn game.
0: Right? Right. It's just mostly just colorful. A person saying, oh yeah, you can't die now. Right. And every time you do die, you just get plopped down as your weird jelly body and then you inhabit another corpse, and then that's you now.
1: Right when you jump into the game, you notice how fast the combat is, which I'm a huge fan of. I'm a gunner. We've talked about this. I'm a gunner, dude. I want to get in. I want to get my hands dirty. I don't creep around. I'm not a stealthy player. I'm not a ranged player. I just want to get in and smash buttons and make some shit happen.
0: You like the Dynasty
1: Warriors type games. That's almost a step too far, but that's almost too mindless. The thing about this game is you get in, you can hack and you can slash. I'm just saying that
0: like. to, to hyperbolize your preferred play style. Sure, yeah. So go in and just beat the crap out of stuff. Willy upon nilly.
1: Willy upon nilly. I'm, I'm not a patient man by any stretch of the imagination. So getting in and just bloodying people up with my fists feels good, man. So you jump in. I'm hacking and slashing. Not, not to say there isn't a ranged option. You can play ranged if you want.
0: Right, because the way the, the game works with drops is... Like, there's different weapon classes, and there's a loot system where, oh, well, these are better than these. There's, I've got red weapons, I've got green weapons, I've got blue weapons, and you've got different systems that interact with that, where you'll find, I oh, I can upgrade either red, green, or blue. And if I've got two green weapons, that I definitely want to try to upgrade my green weapons, because that's what I'm using right now. Or if I think I'm going to get a red weapon later, then I might want to try to steer myself that way. So it's like an on-the-fly kind of RPG spec system, where you have like a skill tree almost. And then on top of the temporary ones that you get per run, you are saving up these cells that you get from occasionally defeating enemies or beating the harder elite type enemies. You'll get more cells and you trade those in to uh, the collector. I believe that guy's name is, and he's only between stages. So it's a lot fewer and further between that you actually get to interact with this guy. But then you're spending those to get more permanent upgrades where you'll get a health flask, where you can heal yourself or you can upgrade that and get multiple swigs off of the health flask or or you'll unlock weapons with blueprints or you can buy the blueprints from this collector. It's just, it kind of opens up different. You've got short-term goals and then you've got long-term goals. Right. And it's very satisfying to interact with both of those kind of systems. So one thing that
1: a game like Rogue Legacy does where you die, you take all that gold, and you go invest it in perks and right. upgrade your character. But every time you get stronger, sort of the enemies on the map. So it's sort of a, you know, you're growing, but sort of the enemies. So you never quite feel like, oh, I'm going to blow through. I'm, I'm going to be OP.
0: The enemies in Rogue Legacy only get stronger if you uh, new game plus it. Wait, really?
1: Yeah. So if I max my character, that first area is going to be just as simple as the first or are going to be much more simple to get through than... than.
0: Yeah, you'll like one-hit enemies. You'll just breeze through, and then you'll go to... Rogue Legacy is a very... I, I feel it's a very appropriate kind of comparison because of the way, the way Dead Cells is kind of laid out where it's sort of Metroidvania-esque where the first thing you get is a rune that allows you to interact with these plants on the ground that when you have the rune and you tickle them, uh, a vine goes upward and allows you to... Access areas that you haven't accessed, been able to access before. So it gives you traversal options. The way it's set up, it's procedurally generated each time you die. But it's sort of a general... It's sort of always in the same location. Like if you go right, but sometimes it's left. I'm not sure how the, the regeneration works in Dead Cells Yeah, I haven't played it enough. But in Rogue Legacy, it was procedurally generated also. But it was basically always... If you go straight right you'll end up in the forest and if you go up you'll go in the attic and if you go down it'll be the spooky dark dungeon area right and a lot of different bosses in those in those locations but in dead cells I feel like I've sort of gotten the hint of it's the toxic sewers are usually down here and then if I keep going then I'll maybe find the ramparts but I'm not I haven't really gotten my head around that yet I'm not I'm not certain yet
1: so far. So the Toxic Shores is its own thing that you get to from the first area, but so far outside of that, everything is very, very linear. You're going from left to right. Sometimes you kind of have to kind of go down a little bit, but you're going from one end of the map to the other, and it's very linear in the sense that okay, you know which stage is next. Rogue Legacy is open, where you can go to any area of the world right off the bat, right. Right out of the gate, you can head to any area and fight any boss you want. This one is is way more linear in the sense that it's like, okay, I've got to go from the prison, and I've got to get to the promenade. I've got to go to the ramparts. Then I got to go to Blackbridge to fight the first boss. Okay, there's no other order I can really do that in.
0: I got to the ramparts from the uh, toxic sewers. Okay, so that's
1: that must be where it differs then, because I've only been to the sewers once, and that's you can't unlock the sewers until you go to the promenade. You get the rune that lets you climb the vines or grow the vines. Right. Yeah.
0: You're right in that it, it it gates it differently. Where Rogue Legacy gates it behind skill and the enemies like one-shotting you, this gates it more in a a tangible aspect where you just don't have the the means to get to the next area. Right.
1: So that's the one one of the things that does frustrate me is you'd spend all this time exploring and the whole crux of the game is to get these cells so that you can upgrade so that the next time you go through your run is easier you start with better weapons, you start with better perks that'll help you stay alive longer. Okay, but the progression is so slow. You go through and you can get, I mean, my best run was 40 cells, but that was like an insanely good run. Usually it's like maybe 10. So between each level, you're going to spend these cells, and it's like, oh, I need 600 to unlock this perk. Like it's really slow in its progression. And so that has been a little bit of a a blocker for me where I just feel you put in all this work and you run for half an hour 40 minutes and at the end of it it's just like well i'm dead and i'm i'm kind of right back where i was at the beginning of the last run you don't feel the, the progression so incremental, you don't really feel that you're starting each run you know on a higher rung and it's so so that mm-hmm. satisfaction is diminished a little bit but then when you, when you do finally make that leap it's a it's a significant enough leap that you feel oh, okay here we go but i'm still in the early game so i'm unlocking things that cost 35 cells you know 60 cells once it starts climbing up it's going to get you know cost hundreds to unlock you know this incremental upgrade it's just i feel like that's going to be where i kind of hit my wall and say I'm, i'm over this but as far as actually traversing the world the platforming is is really concise like it's it's quick it's you know things like when you're roll dodging there's an option that'll like automatically keep you from falling off a ledge which I think is some people might think like oh that's like that's cheating or that's you know Babby's first whatever but for me it's like that means i can just focus on fighting the enemies and and not worrying about falling off to my death which is like you know at any point in the game you're going to you can fall to your death maybe that makes it easier on me and that's cheap or whatever but it just lets me focus on the thing that i want to be doing which is just fucking slashing things up the metroidvania aspects I think are really cool we mentioned the the rune that lets you grow the vines so suddenly that opens up and that you know opens up a whole new area in the game the sewers or whatever I get the sense that there are gonna be a couple other ones that'll unlock pretty quick here like scaling walls
0: yeah there's there's very uh, specific locations where you'll see two walls that are very close to each other. Like I bet I'm going to get a wall jump. Yeah. Or you'll see the sarcophagus and you can rub the sarcophagus and you're like, Oh, that doesn't do anything. Yeah.
1: Nah, it'll probably do something eventually. Yeah. Probably sooner rather than later. It'll, it'll do something there. One of the other things that pertains to the the whole Metroidvania aspect that I really, really love is that at every divergent path, there's a teleporter. So it's a, it acts as a checkpoint. So if you get to a spot where you can go up, right or down, you activate the checkpoint and then you pick any direction you want. And when you get to the end of that path or another divergent path, there's another teleporter. So one of my biggest issues with Metroidvania games as someone who's just a a little obsessive compulsive, right? And I have this completionist tendency, which always ruins games for me because I never actually hundred percent anything, but I I have to play the game as if I'm going to, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, So this is great because I can without fear pick any direction Explore that to its fullest extent find all the little secrets kill all the enemies gather all my cells and then know that I can quickly look at My map and say oh, I have completely tapped out this direction I can just boom teleport back to that divergent path go the other direction. So it's sort of a little security For me that no matter what I do I can always go back to where I started this and I'm not gonna feel like by the time I get to the end of the level. I have left any secrets behind which, which is not a good feeling, man. When you're playing a game like that and you feel like, ooh, did I miss something? And it just eats at you. It's like, no, I know. I, I completed everything I could on this run. That feels really good. And some people may take issue with that because that's sort of the, I guess, one of the selling points of a Metroidvania game is the exploration.
0: Yeah, which the more I think about it, the more I feel like this game has almost nothing to do with Metroidvanias except for the fact that it gates you from going places until you get like an item. It's like saying that Ocarina of Time is a Metroidvania. I mean, it just doesn't fit, right? I think it just sort of looks and feels like one at times, but uh, in practice, it's just an action platformer because there's no backtracking. You it, once you go to the ramparts, you can't go back to the promenade. And so again, I
1: guess that this is more of a you know an amalgamation where it's cl- clearly drawing inspiration from the Metroidvania genre, but it, right. it's doing its own thing with it, which is to be commended. You know, it's taken the things that I like about Metroidvanias and you know, not bloating it with all of the things that frustrate me about them. So
0: yeah, which that's cool. I, I do want to touch back with the with you in like a week or two and see if you've uh, kept up with it and whether or not your problems with the long-term progression has deterred you from taking part in the short-term progression and how you interact with those kind of that duality. I'm already kind of frustrated after,
1: you know, I, so I started the game, I couldn't even the first couple of times I couldn't even get out of the promenade I ran into the elite mob you know there'll be elite versions of them that are way way tougher than a typical creature you're fighting and he's guarding the rune that lets you traverse the the world a little more with those vines and so I I mean I tried to beat him like six or seven times like I every time I just could not get the hang of you know when to dodge is not the issue right because this game sort of telegraphs it with a little exclamation point when you need to, to roll dodge to avoid an enemy's attack.
0: Which I do like you have the option to turn that off because I feel like I'll do that once I get the rhythm down. But it was very difficult to play this game while you're trying to hold a conversation with someone else. It's not a game that you can like no. half focus on. Not easy. So I was, ha- I was having trouble with that. And I really want to like, because you know I was playing it on in handheld mode. and Also not ideal. I didn't have the volume up. So I was just missing out on a whole lot of aspects of the game. Oh, totally. I feel like. Were hindering me in a way that I felt I wasn't doing as well as I wanted to, and nothing feels worse than being like, "Man, I'm just not playing this game right, and it's my fault."
1: I need you to just get the pro controller, pop on some fucking head, uh, headset, and and
0: play on the TV. But yeah, okay, I'll get my headphones that reach all the way to my switch in oh, front damn of my it, TV.
1: Stupid switch! You have to. <laughs> damn it, fucking Nintendo! But anyway, I couldn't get past that guy initially. It took forever, and I was kind of like, "Okay, well." That was fun while it lasted. I persevered, Nick, and then I I got to the promenade, or I got to the uh, the ramparts, and I felt a little more like my- okay, I'm getting the hang of the combat. I'm getting a hang of sort of what kind of build I like because you know you go into the world and you're getting like you said you're getting upgrades to your HP to the type of weapons you're using. Whether it's it's your um, you know you've got traps, you've got melee, and you've got ranged. Weapons, they've got like grenades. The traps are not not traps, it's survival. Um, is the category so for the three upgrades you can get. And so, generally, that ends up being melee ranged traps
0: or grenades or something like that. But, or like HP or defense, or you know, like HP recovery, I think is is a survival, right? right, Because after each area, also after you uh talk to the collector, you can also talk to another guy and get these mutations. And usually what I'll do is I'll do the one that heals you for two HP after each kill you get. Ooh. Okay. So I always go right off the bat with the one that lets you revive.
1: You get a free revive. If you die, here's why initially it was because I couldn't get through that elite right before without getting it. And so now I've kind of been in that habit. So what now what I do and here, here's, here's some of my frustrations come into play. I spent, I don't know. I probably played 10 hours uh, in the last couple of days and I've done a, ton of runs I, I'd be curious to go look at my stats but I finally got to the bus on Blackbridge
0: which I guess you haven't gotten to yet I feel like I might have seen him on the PC version but I don't remember okay
1: yeah uh, he was really difficult he killed me really quick and at first it was it was like okay if I just play carefully and I dodge carefully I can do this well then he starts breaking out you know the big guns and things get kind of crazy so I, I fought him another like like four or five times I want to say before I mm. finally got a really good grasp on like, okay, what's, what's the strategy for beating this guy. And then I had to start playing my runs completely differently, building a new loadout or it's like, I really want to focus on traps and building up my, the the purple side of the tree, whatever that is. I can't remember the name, but so that's what I'm focusing on building, you know, high HP. Okay. Now I'm going and selecting my mutations. What do I do? So before I was selecting Free revive, which I still use. And I was doing one that does, like, times 100 and some damage for 15 seconds after killing an enemy. Cool. Very helpful when you're on a run, but when you go into the boss, you want to reset your mutations, and you want... What I found the combo was plus 30% HP. I still had my revive when I beat the boss. And then the third one, ooh, what, what did I do for the boss? Because I got rid of the, the extra damage.
0: Right, because you're not going to be generating higher DPS unless he's got adds that you can take out
1: so the other one is um it has the cooldown of your mutations or right, sorry right, right. of your traps and so the key is to just get a shit ton of traps what uh two or one will drop two traps that'll bind them and one that you can lay far away and will do um damage from afar uh, and then the key is to the turrets the, the turrets yeah so you know Again, it took four or five tries before I finally figured out the strategy and then another like two tries before I beat him. But it's just hammering the guy with range attacks until he, you know, you can get close enough to hit him and then rinse, repeat, and just hope those traps do their job. And, you know, so by the time you finally beat him, I really felt that satisfaction of, you know, the, the progression of, holy shit, where I was two days ago versus where I'm at now, understanding the game, getting stronger, Each run's a little easier because these things I'm unlocking. Well, then you go to the next area, and it's just, like, bonkers difficult. And I die almost right away. Okay, now I'm back to square one. I gotta do all that again and run all the way back through and fight the boss. And I don't feel like I... Even though my understanding of the game is much better, at the end of the day, all I've really done is unlock the ability to retain gold after a death, and I have two potions now instead of zero. Other than that, like... I have a couple of weapons unlocked that aren't that great. And one of the downsides to unlocking weapons after each run with your cells is now those spawn in the world. So half the time now I'm getting shit weapons that I only unlocked because I, I needed to unlock X amount of weapons to like unlock more perks. Right. So now I'm getting these crappy drops in the world that I I never want planned on using these weapons. And now half the time it's ruining my runs because I'm getting just bogus items.
0: Have you gotten to a time door when it was still open yet? I have once, yeah. That has been the way I've been playing mostly. Is like, oh, I don't have to really fight these trash mobs. I'm just going to run through and uh, try and look for the time door in the second area, like in the promenade. And then usually I'll get some like good stuff from there. Get like 10 cells or something without having to like worry about fighting a bunch of enemies and losing a bunch of life for really nothing.
1: Maybe that's the key, because I'm curious exactly what ends up down there, because it's my understanding that so these time doors in each level after the first area, if you get to it before the time is up, down there you'll find, I think, all of the items you passed on in the previous level.
0: I'm not sure if it's all of them, but it's at least like two chests and then a cache of cells or gold.
1: So the downside being you're missing up on you know the HP and gear upgrades, but... You're rushing through, skipping a level, getting as many cells as you otherwise probably would have.
0: And usually finding something pretty decent, too.
1: So I imagine that is going to be the key once once I get to a point where I'm OP enough at the start of a run, where I have really good starting weapons, I can buff my HP. Or
0: if you just want to try and explore and try and, uh, like if you were banging your head up against that boss for more runs, then you would just be like, okay, I'm just going to rush to him and just sort of whatever I get, I get. And then I could try out different methods and see if i can figure out the right way to fight this guy so that he'll be less uh tr- he'll be more trivial the next time i fight him and then i can spend more time exploring and really poking around the corners of the dungeon yeah
1: i'll be i'll be curious to see how things play out in the next day or two cuz i'm going to i'm still going to give it the old you know old college try here keep going but i have a feeling that if i don't make much more meaningful progression you know cuz the runs just get longer and more stressful you know, now instead of a five-minute run, it's a 10-minute run. And instead of a 10-minute run, it's like I'm up to like a 40-minute run. That's not a small-time commitment. Just to right. go back so and that's reading. why I
0: brought that up just to see maybe if that will be more conducive to the way you want to play. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear your feedback from that. Yeah, we'll follow up on that next week. And hopefully you'll have played more by then. Oh, I'm, I'm planning on it. I think I'm going to be spending some time with it uh,
1: during the week. Very glad, very glad. But anyway, we've been recording for an hour and a half. We still have this next segment to get into. This has been the Console Crusade Podcast. Again, we are throwing you to a segment we recorded earlier in the week with Milo Kent Pettit, an aspiring game developer. He talks with us about a short game he just developed that Nick and I both played, both beat.
0: We'll have a link for it in
1: the description. We'll blast that out on our social media. Of course, you can find us on Twitter. I am at EJiggle. This Nick is at Prestal death. You can find the console crusade at console underscore crusade. And again, please email us, tweet us questions, comment concerns. We're going to start doing listener mail. Uh, now that we've actually blasted this, this, uh, information out to the world and, uh, we'll answer your questions. We'll talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. I know you're out there again. I read, I read our stats. I know you're out there right into us. We're huge in Japan. Hey, half our listener base is out there
0: somehow. I don't know. Couple of people in Sweden, you know. Shouts out to Sweden, you know. Yeah, my people. They don't, get, they, don't they don't, hear enough. But shouts out. Yeah, appreciate it. Anyway,
1: Cosmic State Podcast. We'll uh, will catch you guys next week.
0: Yeah, that's fucked up. It's a Starman and Earthbound and the bad guys and the Starman's and Mario and they just make you invincible and you get a cool little tune out, little ditty. It's very confusing. There's no consistency among Nintendo properties. Wasn't David Bowie a star man? Or is he just star <laughs> Ziggy Stardust? Ziggy Stardust.
2: He's close. He's yeah. half a star man. Yeah. Who's
0: the guy in Kiss with the with the star, star face? It's a star child, Paul Stanley. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> the ignorant slut.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Well, on that note, this is the Console Crusade podcast. Impromptu episode. Alright, my name's EJ Olsen. I am joined today, as always, by Nick Durham. Hey, hello. And again, for the second time ever, Mr. Miles
2: Kent Pettit. That would be me, but I go by Milo. Did I say
1: Miles? Did I say Miles? See, <laughs> you so it's your up, Skype name. Eric, John.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Listen, the Skype name
1: completely messed me up. Like I keep saying Miles. Did I say Miles again? Milo.
2: Miles <laughs> was my father. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let us be correct here. Actually, my father was Joe. There's, there's no connection <laughs> here at all. Uh, I know your name
1: Milo. I just it was it's confusing me. It's really not coming through EJ. It's like when people call me Eric. I'm like, oh, that's, I guess that's my name. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> like, That's uncomfortable. But anyway, <laughs> Eric's your uncle. That's yeah, it's weird. And John's my dad. So when people call me Eric, John, I'm like, just stop it. <laughs> this isn't right. So we're doing a really weird thing right now. Milo is in town visiting. Before he jets off to his his next adventure, which we're going to talk about. It's so hard not to put my elbows on this table right now. So, Milo, you and I are together sitting across from each other. Um, Not uncomfortably close, as you pointed out, but still awkwardly leaning into each other into one mic. So our audio might be a little weird. And we have Nick queued up on Skype over here. I'm going to sound the best out of the three of us. It's true. He's recording his own audio. And so, this is just an interesting experiment. You guys should have seen the lead up to this. We were trying Skype. Group chats, freaking Zencast, all these different things trying to get this to work so that we can both hear Nick, Milo, and Nick can hear the both of us without any echo. It's just, it was kind of a mess. We think we have it solved. It did take about an hour, so you can tell that some craftsmanship (sighs) went into it. Yeah, so y'all better appreciate this episode. I demand it of you. Anyway, so Milo, last we spoke, you were living in Minneapolis, you'd done a couple of uh, was it 72 hour or like one? What, what, 48 hour. 48 hour. Oh, gosh. Yeah, tiny, tiny bits of time. You had 48 hours, uh, a seminar to basically <laughs> create, design, implement an entire video game. Yep. So we talked about that in we your did. last game. What was that called? Sorry, the the, the, <laughs> the one that we talked about in the last pod that I had played with
2: Scaling the Mountain. That one was Mountaineer, Mountaineer. and it was a uh, broken mess of a prototype of a game, but it looked pretty. But
1: as I sip on my liqueur right here. Uh, that was... (laughs) Nick, stop it. Hey, it's not a Constant Crusade podcast. I'm not sipping on LaCroix when I should be talking. I can't (laughs) Uh, help when it's comedy gold, you know? Yeah. That was sort of a launching off point for you, where you got together with this group of people, and you... Because if I recall, your first game did not come to fruition within the 48 hours. Is that correct?
2: That's right. That one was a broken mess of a not even a prototype. That was a broken mess of people who were just arguing for 48 hours Mm. and then came up with half of a walking simulator. (laughs) So
1: you mean like half of all indie developers currently trying to develop in the the game space? Exactly, yeah.
2: Half broken walking simulator. No, it wasn't half broken. It was just half a walking simulator.
1: Oh, 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 okay. (laughs) Let's get it correct. So that was half a
2: success. stumbling simulator. A
1: stumbling
0: simulator, (laughs) yes.
2: Here you are, coming off the heels of having developed your second game. Correct. And this one was made uh, in co-development with my girlfriend, of all people. Awesome. She is? Isabel, And she is fantastic. She's uh, She does a lot of visual art and acting, and she's one of the most incredible actresses I've ever seen, hands down. Uh, and same goes for visual art. But I'm not a programmer, and she is not an animator, and yet we went and made a game anyways.
1: And... Let me preface, we're about to get into kind of what this game is and what it looks like and how it plays because you showed up today and you told me about it and I went and played it. I told Nick about it. Nick went and played it. We both beat the game. Hey. So so we'll kind of dive into that and our thoughts on that and then we're going to kind of grill you. And it's going to be interesting to kind of get your perspective as someone, you watched me play it, right? Yeah. So that's, I'm sure as a, the developer,
0: an interesting experience. Showing someone a game that you made, I would imagine... EJ, you probably get similar experiences when you edit together a video and you're like, oh, I know what what I did to make this happen. And they're just seeing the final product. So but it's a little bit different with a video game because the person's interacting with it even more and they can break it in ways that a viewer can't necessarily break a video. Right. <laughs> so I think that's kind of interesting to get that kind of duality, that kind of difference, but similar because <laughs> video games and videos are probably the closest two mediums to each other. Cause I don't think video games video games are super unique. Because people play them, right? Yeah, it's hard to watch a movie wrong. Yeah, you just miss things, and that's about it. And then you can hear smarter people talk about it, and like, oh yeah, I kind of get it now. But <laughs> it's hard to watch a movie wrong. Some insight from from not Miles Kent Pettit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is my real name. <laughs> not it's all hyphenated.
1: Well, it, what's it's, what's interesting is you kind of have this unique perspective, and we talked about it before. As as a performer, as a, as a former actor. I don't know if that's still something you're pursuing or not, but, you know, theater and acting for film is you have this interest and love for storytelling. And so how as accurately as possible sort of translate what, you know, the games industry has been trying to do and we've been seeing the move closer towards. But as Nick likes to point out, video games are still the worst vehicle for telling a story,
0: at least a traditional story. Like, I feel like video games are much better at establishing a place and a setting and like a world, but it's not good at linear storytelling that we're used to. Like you can't do a three-act structure in a video game, at least not the way that we've done it for hundreds of years. So video games are a super new medium. They've only been around really for about 30 or 40 years. So we're just now breaking the surface of that. And you're seeing people, you know, walking simulators is a very popular genre because it's very, it's very linear. It's very similar to how people would make a movie except you're controlling the camera. Right, yeah. So I'm just interested to see what the future is in video games where your actions are what's driving the story and if that's even a possibility because people can play video games. People like the freedom to explore a world and and interact with the world in a way. And I think that is probably the most, um, I don't know, That's most interesting stories that you get from video games are when you break the game and something funny happens and you tell your friends about it and that that people talk about that all the time, you know, playing Breath of the Wild or Grand Theft Auto or you're flying into a building and one of the NPCs parachutes out on top of you and something explodes. Like that's just like a funny story and you can't get that from a movie. You can't discover something in a movie in that same way or in a book or in a, a dialogue even. So I think that's kind of interesting to see where, video games can take us and what the possibilities are and to keep exploring that right it's interesting to see how
1: the way we Observe and in and, and, and process these different stories how that's evolved and how it's different from reading a book or watching a movie, but There's a movement. Where we're trying to take what it's like to watch a movie translate it to a video game and every year we're getting a little bit closer. We have games like Detroit right or you know, even games like Last of Us, which is heavier on the gameplay, but still very heavy in the story elements. But there's still this large gap that we're trying to to close. And so that's one of my, that's one of your passions is how can, how can I be creative and, and solve these problems that no one's been able to solve yet and tell these stories in a, in a unique way.
2: So your new game. Where the ferns don't grow for those the- of you who don't know. And I assume that's most. We can find that on if- itch.io. You got it. I just keep trying
1: to talk over here, and it's not Nailed working. It. I just This is good. This is in my brain now. If I reiterate it, I will remember. Well, we're going to put a link all over social media for this, so all of our listeners are going to go find this, and they're going to go play it. Um, so, Milo, I want you to break us down on what this game is before Nick and I kind of get into our experience playing it.
2: Yeah. Where the Ferns Don't Grow really started with Isabel and I's desire to create a game that was more than just oh, let's shoot a bunch of people in the face because I feel like a lot of those just fall flat and we're tired of them. We watched E3 and it was like 95% of the games were generic shoot people in the face, realistic graphics kind of a thing. And so- (laughs) Very formulaic. Right, right. Part of this is born out of rebellion, but we really wanted to create something that, I call it that touches the human soul, right? That gets at deeper human truths and just so happens to be carried through the medium of video games. And so that's what we were aiming to do with Where the Ferns Don't Grow. And so this game is a game, first and foremost, about taking responsibility for your life and what what that could look like, what that could feel like in your everyday life. And you don't have to in this game. You might get a very unsatisfying uh, resolution, but you don't have to. <laughs> As far as the gameplay goes, it borrows a lot from platformers, but unlike platformers in this particular game, you're going to be creating your own way forward. There's these materials in the cave that you will throw against the cave walls in order to navigate. And you'll also have a companion a uh, cute little creature, uh, <laughs> we, uh, our development name for the creature is Ping Pong, so that's how we refer to them in code and to ourselves. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos. <laughs> and so you you carry this cute creature with you as you go about solving what's essentially a giant puzzle. But again, we can talk about more of the design decisions and what I've learned and where I screwed up and where I feel I did well. And of course, uh, Isabel's fantastic artwork and animation. Yeah, so that's the first thing I noticed was especially I mean obviously these are very
1: two different beasts, right? Going back to Mountaineer versus where the firms don't grow. The first thing you notice is it launches, you've got this beautiful start screen, and and just the the art is very simple, very lovely. And Nick i keep touching the damn table. Nick, tell me, tell me if 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 this tracks with you. I got journey vibes from like if, if journey Obviously, it's a very different kind of game, but as far as the feel, as far as the just the atmosphere and sort of the emotions that came with this sort of, sort of this empty longing, like you're not really sure what where you're at or what you're doing. Um, I feel like if you would have taken Journey, condensed it into this two D sprite based game,
0: um, in some ways, I, I feel a lot of that influence in here. Is that am I off track? I get the minimalist vibes, especially with like the minimal color palette. You get that a lot with Journey. And I was thinking when I first uh, booted it up, it gave me a strong like Atari kind of vibe with the, the color palette and the just the size of the pixels. It didn't give me like an 8-bit vibe. It gave me like proto 8-bit kind of vibes. So I, I liked that. And then obviously the sound design that you, that you went with was very haunting and ominous and mm-hmm. not really. It doesn't like stick with you. It's just sort of happening while you're playing kind of a static kind of sound. So I thought that kind of that pushed it forward as well.
1: Mile, when you guys are... From from a from a artistic direction when you're planning this sort of thing, where what kind of inspired this? What inspired Isabel with this? And are we kind of are we a little off base, or are we kind of on the right track as far as what you're going for and how that it was influenced maybe by other?
2: Yeah, I can I can tell you where we drew the most inspiration as far as gameplay and storytelling goes. This is also my second attempt at storytelling in a game, right. and this is much closer in the direction that I want to go. I still want to see it in a more concrete example, but I just wanted to start in an abstract form to essentially prove to myself that yes, we can tell stories in video games, and no, the industry is not doing it in a way that's compelling to me personally. Sure. Uh, as far as inspirations go, gameplay wise, we drew a lot of inspiration from The Last Guardian, actually. Okay. Uh, if if anyone has actually played The Last Guardian in that game, you also have a companion, though the companion uh, is a giant bird, dog, cat thing.
1: It's a little bit bigger than ping pong. <laughs> a little bit bigger That's than ping sure. pong. You can't ride
2: ping pong. Right. Ping pong rides you. <laughs> <laughs> and purrs while they're at it. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it took a lot of inspiration just as far as the form of that game goes. Not so much the gameplay. They're, they're pretty different yeah. mechanically. But their form is very, very similar. They're both essentially action puzzlers. And it. I think this game, borrow because it was so inspired by The Last Guardian, borrows a lot of the strengths of The Last Guardian. Specifically, it's, uh, it's very emotive. There's a lot of feeling involved in it. And it also <laughs> grabs some of the same weaknesses, where it's essentially just a giant puzzle, which means that if you're ever stuck, that's it. There's you can't really do anything whereas a lot of other games say uh Breath of the Wild you don't get puzzle locked you can still go and do other things in the game if you're unsure of how to progress in a particular puzzle and so this is this is a shared flaw between my my inspiration here and uh, and and the game that we've created
0: right just being singular as opposed to being very broad which i think it's just safer for large companies that have to sell millions and millions of copies of a game in order to break even. They need to be broad in order to touch a larger user base. So it's admirable when you get a game like Last Guardian that was in development hell for 13 years or whatever it was <laughs> right. and to still come out and still be that singular kind of vision. And whether or not it's good is up for debate, but that's like what they wanted to do and they ended up going through with it. And that's that's cool. I can, I can respect that.
1: Admirable. That's right. So technically speaking, I guess I want to dive in a little bit more into how this game plays, right? So we can kind of sort of paint a a picture here for the people listening. So it is a platformer, first and foremost, as far as technically speaking.
0: You are correct. Um, The verbs that you're using is move left, move right, jump. Right. And then pick up and throw also as the the sprinkling on top that makes it unique. Right, unique, that's exactly the word that I would use. This, you guys,
1: with a limited period of time, with limited resources, you manage to do something that feels distinct, right? It's nothing that hasn't been done before, but it was done. It was the right combination of ingredients to sort of like, oh, I've never played a game like this before. So as far as those mechanics were, so what happens is you're dropped into this cave. Um, and as you go, there are these blocks that you can pick up and throw strictly horizontally. You can't throw them up. You can't they just go straight out and they stick to walls. And so you're picking these blocks up and throwing them into the walls in order to platform your way up right it's it's all about verticality and so it's interesting grabbing throwing this thing trying to get up to the next one grab it midair, and so let me say the first time i played it nick i went through this not i didn't get the game right away right like i didn't i didn't
0: take ping pong with me which right i mean i was gonna say i didn't either and that's like part of the interesting thing with a, a game like this and puzzle platforms and puzzle platformers in general are really good about doing stuff like this where They give you the tools, but they don't tell you what to do with them yet. And you kind of have to grok it out yourself. You have to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. And it got to the point where I understood, oh, I should probably be bringing ping pong with me. And I think that you you diegetically show that in a very natural way. But then that also led me to my, my first bad ending, where I sacrificed ping pong way too early, and it ended up that the entire cave system was empty. And then I got to the final area... And I was like, wait, wasn't Ping Pong's corpse back along the way? So I had to double back and grab him and brought him to the end and got the the first sad ending. But then, I don't know, was that the ending that you got, EJ?
2: Or did you actually? EJ never made it to the finish line. So EJ, after sacrificing Ping Pong, took the final seed and plopped it down, and the game ended there. So,
1: okay, so (laughs) to paint a little more of a picture here, in the first room you're in, there's a block, right, with... It's a seed, essentially. And you plop it down into one of three holes, and a little sprout pops out the top. As you go through the game, you find these other ones, and you drop them down. Um, and then Ping Pong, this little ball character you carry with you, there are enemies in the game that don't hurt you. And, you know, I, I went through this whole first playthrough. I Nick, I got to the end of the game, where you get to those three bad dudes at the end. You've made it to the top level of the cave. And I realized, oh, I need to bring that character from the beginning with me. So I had to go back mm-hmm. and re-platform all the way back, which completely changed the way the game played because now you're you're
0: dealing with this character who you have to Yeah, I don't know what what you were doing, but when I was when I was going through initially and I didn't have Ping Pong with me, it wasn't burdened with the weight of that poor little critter. Right. I was carrying carrying the blocks that you could platform on from room to room so i just always had one with me just 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 in case just a spare right <laughs> and it made it a lot quicker so i was just i was just running through these areas a lot quicker and since i sacrificed him there was also none of the bad guys at all throughout the rest of the game oh really so there were so by the time i went through again and i was carrying ping pong with me then there are these obstacles that i suddenly had but it didn't take me that long to figure out that they wouldn't hurt me but every time i brought poor little ping pong nearby <laughs> he would start crying They'd start writhing about, and I'd be very concerned about the safety of my, my little companion. Right. right. And so it
1: took me, because I'm an idiot, as we've established on this podcast, it took me, uh, you know, I was focusing strictly on the platform, and I didn't put all the puzzle pieces together initially. What, what I think he did really well was, uh, and we talked about this on the last podcast, actually, is good game design is you have to show the player exactly what they need to do right? The, the base mechanics, show them what how to do it. Don't tell them. You don't need a text box. you don't need lengthy tutorials. Show them in as simple
0: a way as possible. Have them do it on their own right away. And then they extrapolate. Yeah. With no stakes at first. And then you steadily increase the stakes and increase the reward because of that. Right. So I think you did a brilliant job of, of designing that. And every time I got to a new
1: room, there was a new little piece of the puzzle to figure out. Each time I, I looked back and said, ah, I see what you did there. So I feel like the pacing and progression through the whole thing was was really good, where every time I went to a new room, I, I quickly figured out how to do it, but then quote-unquote mastering it, getting to it it's like, okay, now I have to actually execute. I felt like that the pacing was really good there, and that was very satisfying.
2: And that that's both a, a strength and a weakness, in the sense that there's essentially, each room is a micro-puzzle in the giant macro-puzzle of trying to figure out the entirety of the game, and just the little mechanics, specifically how they're going to work, so that you can figure out the order in which you have to resolve the micro puzzles in order right. to finish the game.
1: That's exactly it. Resolving them. And how many times did I go back after it's I, like three, I figured think. out how to, I'm like, oh, okay. So now I need to take him with me. So now that completely changes how I solve the puzzle in this room because I have this creature now burdening me. I've got to avoid the bad guys in the level. I've got to figure out how to platform, be, only being able to hold one platform block and ping pong this character. I can only hold one of them at a time. So figuring out how, okay, I pick him up, I drop him here. Okay, but I got to keep him away from the bad guy. Okay, I put the block here. And then another mechanic you introduce introduces, the blocks act as a weapon. So I can I can box in or push over one of the bad guys who would be coming after ping pong. Yeah, you got to pop him off a platform, man. Exactly. So <laughs> the way you introduce these little mechanics, very simple mechanics, and how by the end, as you double back... They all suddenly tie in together. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very brilliantly done. I got to say, and I think Nick, again, this is because I'm an idiot and Nick's not, is you picked up quickly kind of the story it was telling and figuring out what you needed to do. I was strictly looking at it from a technical perspective, right? And just trying to get to the end of the puzzle, figuring out. And then I, I realized, oh, I've got to go back and get this guy and take him to the end.
0: Well, like I said, I, 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 I went to the end without... Ping pong. Right. Then I I brought his body to the end because I had killed him, but you didn't. So what was your experience after after
2: bringing Ping pong along with you? For some clarity here, you get to the end of this game, and there are three or just a quick note. How many spoilers do you want to give? Totally up to you. I'm fine either way. I, let's just, I say we spoil it. We're okay, talking about let's do it. it. If you're if you're comfortable with it, yeah, I'm fine. I just wanted to make sure that that's the route you wanted to go.
1: Spoiler warning, folks. If you want to check this out, and I highly recommend you should. Because it's it's a very it's an interesting experience. It's a concise experience. It'll take you fifteen minutes. Um, it's, it's free. Time. I mean, there's no reason not to play it. <laughs> yeah. So again, that's itch.io. um Search where right. the ferns don't grow. Pick this bad boy up. So stop now. Go play it. Come back and resume. So <laughs> welcome back. Yes. So <laughs> you, you get to the end uh, of the platforming, whether or not you've taken this little well, creature with you. In your case sort of the
2: end because there's more <laughs> right
1: so again we mentioned the seeds at the beginning There's a, there are three holes for three seeds and each main level of the of the of the, the cave you can drop a seed down into so again what I did was I got to the end with ping pong and you meet these three uh, you know I'm not sure what they are the fucking arbiters of
0: death I don't know <laughs> I don't know what, what are these weird these weird the scions of adult responsibility yeah, <laughs> yeah right Just,
1: and they said, so the first time I got there and they said, Milo, remind what they said. Something about a trade the or first a time, sacrifice.
2: The first time that you show up, they say, what have you to offer us? Okay, right. Right.
1: And so the second if time I not, show up. If you're
2: not holding up, ping pong, yeah. Right. The second time I show up ping pong and they say, oh, a bargain? Just to lay out the scene a little bit. You've got the three, as they're calling them, the arbiters of death on the left. You enter in from the right, <laughs> tiny little room. And in front of the arbiters of death is a seed. There's a giant one blocking the exit, so you can't take the seed and drop it like you could with the other two. You, uh, they're they're blocking your way. If you take the seed out of that room, it just withers and respawns back in that first room, and so you're you're blocked by them. You bring in ping pong, and there's the seed in front of you, and then they say a bargain. So my 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 initial thought was,
1: can I knock these guys off? Can I kill them somehow? So I'm throwing the seed at them. I can't. I don't know what to do. So I just. I give them ping pong. Apparently they disappear. I dropped the seed in. I thought ping pong was still alive. He dropped onto the second level. I dropped to the first level. And I was like, Oh, I can't go back and get him." But I dropped the seed in the plants grew and the game was over. I thought the game was over. So Nick, you didn't get that. No, that was my second ending. That was your second ending. Yes.
0: So there's a, well, there's first... a, a third ending. Yes. Yes. And no. Well, the first, I don't know if, it, if you would consider it an ending. It was a soft ending was I I sacrificed Ping Pong to the first uh, baddie I saw because I saw it shown in the room before. And I was like, oh, that's how you get rid of them. So I just did it. And Mm. then went through the rest of the game, Jolly Old, whatever. Wasn't even worrying about the the seeds and the other parts because the room you start out in has the two seeds. And the first one you plant grows Ping Pong. And the second one you plant is just, oh, it just shows a little, little sproutling. So I just ran through the rest of the game and I got to a fountain with a light shining in the middle and nothing was happening and it was like an endless loop thing where you run out the right and you show up in a screen on the left side and then you run through the right side and you show up on the left side, you know so i went back and i grabbed uh, ping pong's body and i brought it to the fountain and this giant being shows up in the background just like floats upwards and is like what? we we know you we know you tried thank you for bringing our baby Whoa! And then goes away. This is fucking me up right now, dude. I and didn't see you just, did this. You can, just, you can just you can just keep running around, but the game doesn't like doesn't like kick you back to the start screen. So I I didn't even try planting the seeds on that. So that was probably a a separate ending as well. If you plant the seeds after that, but I just I started over because I wanted to see what would happen if you brought ping pong along fully alive to the end. But then I got stopped by the those damn arbiters. You know. Okay, oh, so Milo,
1: explain this. Alternate third ending that neither of us got
2: yeah interesting. Yeah, okay So first of all I wanted to prove that it was possible to do a storytelling game That felt unique depending on your own player experience But also was still linear so technically there isn't a different ending However, you can get ping-pong to the parents which is what we refer to the the floating being as you can get ping-pong to the parent alive that is entirely possible. I didn't even see the parents at all. Yeah. So this is, wow. <laughs> we'll have okay. To go back and show you. Wow.
1: <laughs> very interesting. I was like mission accomplished. We both experienced very different things yeah. while still sort of getting the the idea of, of this mood and this feeling that you're trying to convey. That's Very interesting. So so continue. What is this? How do we get the ultimate, the perfect ending, get Ping Pong to his Parents Alive? Get get Ping Pong to the Parents Alive. I'm not going to
2: tell you how to oh, do it. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is not a spoilery podcast, apparently. <laughs> that, that said, having watched you play and hearing, Nick, your story, I do have one design change that I'm going to shift that's going to make it, hopefully, a little bit clearer Okay. as to how to accomplish that. Because I want people to be able to do that, but I don't think I've actually seen a single person solve it except for maybe one friend who was also a play tester so he doesn't mm-hmm. really count. okay so it's interesting how I mean I, I had a,
1: a nice experience with it I was impressed with a lot of the things you did I was telling you earlier I'm very proud of this this thing that you made especially seeing when you came from Mountaineer which was obviously you know 48 hours very rushed but hearing kind of what you want to do with video games and seeing you go back in six months later it's like leaps and, and bounds right <laughs> so that that was
0: awesome. And you actually programmed this game yourself, so that's like, that's something that you hadn't done before, right? Or had you messed around with much programming?
2: I've done bunches of tiny programming projects, but I do not consider myself a programmer. I'm more right. interested in design, but I am capable of scripting. So, and and right. clearly of making an entire minigame. So
1: you were you the sole <laughs> scripter. What, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Coder? No, programmer. Coder programmer. Programmer? I mean...
2: Yeah, so let, let me just talk about what we what we did. Um I Isabel did all of the concept art, all of the animation, and all of the writing, though that was a little bit more collaborative. For me, I did the programming, the core systems design, and by core systems design I mean like the gameplay and the game rules and all that. I did the uh, story structure and how the story unfolds. Again, really wanting to explore how games how games tell stories, because I we can talk about that later, but they, they're they going to tell stories way different than we're used to thinking of a story. And it's sort of like ninja storytelling, but ask me about that when we're done here. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I did the, the audio effects, which are, the, they're using free sound effects at their base level but then i threw them into audacity and mixed and paired different ones and then threw on different audio effects to create that sort of experience that that we wanted what our vision for that was yeah we didn't have recording tools to go out and capture live sound effects and in three weeks you just don't have time no but that's interesting to see how these constraints led to something that
1: otherwise you would have never done right and again like nick said the sound design i think was was perfect for the, the feel and the vibe you're going for and seeing kind of how you took these resources and and transformed them is, is awesome. So, so yeah, like Nick said, I mean, for a two person team for having coded this entire thing yourself again, after, and last time we talked, you said specifically, I don't want to be a programmer. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be a creative, I want to be a project director, right? I want to, I want to have my hand in all these little things, but have a team of people I trust who You know, specialize and can help me bring this vision to life and tell these stories. And so to see you just say, "I'm going to grab this by the balls, and we're going to have to do it ourselves." That's huge. Yeah, it's very
2: important to me to understand what goes into each of the different roles on a team. Uh, We were talking over dinner actually how that can really screw up project management. (laughs) Oh yeah, Uh, this this game was actually created using agile software development. So we had we had a burn down chart, we had uh, uh, we had the scrum board, and Every I was tracking every every day that we were doing work because it it was originally a two week game jam, and so we were trying to create that on schedule, and we did to some extent, but the version you played had a couple of extra tweaks okay. that I added in after a third play test that happened after the game jam had ended so how much is going to change now that you saw saw when you play when you're having this conversation? There's only one thing that I'm going to change, okay. Are you, are you allowed to divulge what this is? I'm going to place another mushroom. No, because
0: mushroom. he doesn't want to tell us how to, how to get the good ending.
2: <laughs> the mushroom. I'm going to place another mushroom. And the mushrooms are important. I thought those were decoration. I didn't pick up on the, what the mushrooms Okay, so cool. let's talk about the design purpose of the mushrooms. Please. They're, they're drastically different than anything you see in the game, yeah? Yes. Right, and that's because they're drastically different than anything you see in the game. When you see one, <laughs> you are going to know where you are. And I've had people get really lost. It's a really, really simple setup to the designer. Who has the map and right. knows exactly what the thing looks like? But I was playtesting it, and some people got lost, and so we we added these little mushrooms in certain key areas. That when you see that, and I know that this works because you walked back into the room, like, oh, I've been here before. Damn it! Okay, yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, see, but it's subtle, and I, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that makes total sense, right? Because I did exactly what it, you intended it to do. But I I kept thinking, like, I can't pick these up. I can't consume these. You know, obviously, my entire life, I've been taught that you consume mushrooms in video <laughs> games
0: for some
2: sort of power-up. Okay. That's true. It makes you bigger. <laughs> yes.
1: And these did nothing but confuse me.
2: But yeah. now it all makes sense. Yeah, they're, they're markers. They're to help you orient yourself. Okay. And I will be adding one more to make that final puzzle a little bit clearer. I think it'll both uh, give you a clear goal of where you, where you need to go and also sort of draw a connection that will hopefully... Point out which skills you've already learned and just need to apply in a different in a different room. Right.
1: Fascinating, Marlo. <laughs> it's just <laughs> kind of seeing the man behind the curtain and being like, "Duh." Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's me. But, but when you're playing it, you're just kind of immersed in the game. Right. And and kind of focusing on what's in front of you. And so now I'm like, "Oh, that that makes so much sense." And I feel like an
2: idiot. Right. <laughs> I just now I can just imagine what what were you thinking watching me fumble around this game world oh, trying to figure it out mainly i was thinking crap i didn't do my job as a designer well nick <laughs> nick clearly, clearly picked up on a much quicker he than i did he did
0: but again i'm an idiot so <laughs> um, and i just i just approach video games i think differently than you do i'm i'm really looking at the the technical aspects of it a lot more kind of trying to pay attention to what the rules are physically especially with okay what's the build up uh, what's the acceleration of movement and how does that affect my aerial speed? How is that? How's my turnaround in air, all that kind of stuff that affects the platforming and trying to brute force things that I wasn't supposed to just to see if I could. <laughs> and like, just like kind of stuff like that. So I think we just have different approaches to how we play games.
1: I, I don't think that's up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so technical stuff is said from a storytelling perspective in one way, making, you have to make a linear game. you're telling a very non-linear story
2: Mm -hmm. you have different endings you have different ways to achieve it's it's multiple different paths to the same ending unless you just go plant all the seeds in which case game over (laughs) isn't that interesting this is very analogous to to life
1: right yeah like we've all there's some goal here but there are all these different possibilities for an ending here and sometimes Sometimes, unfortunately, things end before you want them to. Yeah, that's video games, right? I mean, yeah, right? It's player agency and the choice to either win or fuck it all up. Fuck it all up, I I like
0: this this kind of storytelling a lot more than your typical kind of trying to be a a movie facsimile kind of story. Where I think the prime example that keeps jumping into my head is something like Hyperlight Drifter. I was just going to say there isn't a story like it's not a something that happens. And then that happening is told to you. It's just, you are this person and you're doing these things and then those things happen. And it's not, it's do not show. So it's very different than what the typical kind of storytelling is. Show me, don't tell me it's let me do it. And then that's the story. So it's, I can only imagine how difficult that could be from a planning perspective and say, okay, so I've got this concept and these feelings that I want people to feel. It's almost like writing an album musically and then just, I, not lyrically telling the story, but the sounds that a violin makes or a drum makes or a guitar makes and having that impart that sadness or joy or anger and just, it's very high concept and I appreciate that kind of storytelling a lot more in video games.
1: Video games has to be one of the most difficult mediums, however you split it, right? Because you're you're trying to tell these stories with through every kind of medium. We've got music, and we've got text, and we've got so as a designer to not only pay attention to okay, technically how is this game going to play, but then how are we going to create this atmosphere, and how are we going to use both of those to create the parameters of a of a game world, and then let the player discover it themselves and take like. It seems impossible to me.
0: And My how life. do we tell the story to Nick? And how do we tell the story to EJ? <laughs> to how do we tell the story to very different people? Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's that's yeah. And how do we make it fun? Yeah, but that, right. that's
1: also right. Something we haven't talked about is: is it fun? Yeah, is it an enjoyable experience? <laughs> now, you know. And so that's that just seems like an impossible ta- task <laughs> on all accounts. And so you must have a very unique perspective on. Obviously, what it's like to develop a game and what goes into it. And so this made you appreciate the games that you play
2: on a different level? Yes and no, in that... Uh, I've said that so many times on this podcast. There's a lot of... Very ambivalent today, Milo. Yeah. Get it together! I can't. I can't. Pick a side. All, all the food in my <laughs> belly. can't pick sides. Anyways, the EJ fed me, and so I'm very happy, and that's why I'm willing to do this podcast. Uh, him.
1: You guys have 10 minutes before I fall asleep on this table. I'm carved out, so... <laughs>
2: Right, anyway. a lot of why the AAA gaming industry is the way that it is makes a lot of sense to me now, and also it's so many of the decisions are made based on money. I mean, if we just like cut through all of the bullshit and just get straight to it, it's because of money. Right. Uh, whereas if you go and look at a lot of say Nintendo games, whether or not you're a Nintendo fan, they don't really make games for the sole purpose of of it's a crap ton of money. I mean, the gaming industry has per- uh, surpassed film as far as gross revenue goes. It's just skyrocketing. And so these massive companies will will take to game development as as a money-making venture, which it's going to make a lot of money.
1: Isn't it a... Video games is now a $130 billion industry? That's the number
0: I just read? Nick, can you verify? You're a fact
1: man. Sounds about right. It could be more. <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: Like that's an absurd yeah, amount I of mean, money. Serving the lowest common denominator, you say it surpassed the movie industry and people are very critical about that's what the movie industry has been doing. It's just remakes of '80s movies that were successful, <laughs> so it makes sense that the the biggest companies in the world have to make these games that make money. But I mean, like you like you said, with uh, these big companies making these very broad games, I do want to commend some of the uh, initiatives that those companies also partake Absolutely. in, showing that they're still creators. And you still get EA published indie games, mm-hmm. and you still get UB Art games. You still get. Activision made a goddamn Crash Bandicoot remake, and they, <laughs> not, they didn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah.
2: And it was very successful for them. That's great. You also get some really beautiful AAA games. Um, I'm really personally fed up with all the violence in video games. I think that it's it's just like, yes, I've seen it. I get it. We're creative, we can make killing things feel really good. What, right. what now? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and there are, there are some games that do that in the AAA sector, such as The Last Guardian, uh, really, really wonderful example. And I know a lot of people find it frustrating for its controls and its um, frame rate issues and a couple of other reasons like that. Uh, managing Trico, the bird dog cat. That said, it's also something that's never been done in a video game. And for that, I, it has my undying respect.
1: Would have been right.
2: really sick on the PS2. <laughs> it would have, been. would have been really sick. It was supposed to come out then on the PS3, and then it got slated for PS4. No, I understand yeah, what like, you're yeah, saying. Though. It was showed
0: at like E3 2007 or something, right? A long time ago, yeah. Definitely still making PS2s in
2: 2007.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Shadow of the Colossus came out 2006, I think, Dang. on PS2.
2: Wow. I'd like to take a quick spin back at uh, what what I was referring to as ninja storytelling. And storytelling in games is so freaking difficult because you're telling a story in the second perspective. Now, let's just take a moment and stop. How many books, how many movies, how many songs have you observed, been a part of, uh, watched, read, that are in the second perspective? Yeah. Right. Pro- probably <laughs> maybe Maybe one. I'm maybe not sure. One. I can't think of any. Songs, songs probably more than any of the other ones that I mentioned. But even then, it's a different experience. It's passive. You're listening. You're not involved in it. You're just taking it in. Right. And so video games are active second-person storytelling. And this hasn't been done. We don't know how to do it. That's why it's so hard. And so what happens is that we try to keep borrowing from film, which is... It isn't second-person storytelling. You're watching other people. It's very clear you're watching other people going about a story, and you're watching other people. You're not, I am the other person doing these things. You have
0: no influence over what has happened? Right. Hey, if there is that one first-person movie, the Hardcore Henry or whatever that was called. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Remember that
1: <laughs> with the GoPro? All right, The ex- exception to the rule. Just
0: saying, there's one. <laughs> You're being pedantic.
1: <laughs> That's my job. Mission accomplished. This has been the Constant Crusade Podcast. Everybody, we will catch yes. you next week.
2: <laughs> right. Anyway, so move, there, there's been studies done, and, and games have sort of been trying to figure this out. And they've discovered that people remember the plots from their favorite movies in vivid detail. Even a, like a, a five-year-old could tell you the plot of Star Wars right. with so much detail yeah. and clarity and, and energy. But you ask the same people to talk about their favorite stories in video games, and they don't remember a whole lot. Now, I don't think this is because video game stories, the way that they've been told, are worse written or worsely structured. I think it's actually because, again, there's a fundamental difference between film and movies. And I'm going to tie this into your own personal experience in your everyday life here in a second. But first, that fundamental difference, again, is that it's second-person storytelling. So in a video game, when you've got a cutscene, it's someone telling you a story, and there's an immediate disjunct. You as the player are no longer in the game. You're now an observer. You're not a doer. Mm -hmm. And so that it breaks the story, so to speak. So video games really, I don't think at their strongest can tell stories like movies they're not built to do that now to tie it into your own personal experience video games i think are going to be at their strongest storytelling wise when they tell stories the same way that our lives tell stories and so let me break this down That's a little bit terrifying <laughs> now if you if you think about your life or even in most cases you're just going about your day-to-day life, working with whatever it is you're working with, your emotions, your what you need to get done, and you're just trying to get from moment to moment, or maybe you have some goal, and you're in the moment to moment doing those things to get to that goal. Now, if you if you stop and, like, in the moment that you're doing it, it's really not that fantastic of a story. Like, you look at this and you're like, yeah, it's just my life. But now you go recount all the events to a good friend, right? They're They're observing. This is... The, like if they would be watching a movie and suddenly like, dude, your life is amazing and you're like, what? No, it's just my life. <laughs> right. But that's because you are the person doing that story and video games are the same thing. So video games, you are doing the story and because of that, we don't experience them the same way that films do. We don't remember them like we remember film. It's ninja storytelling. All of these magical events and twists and turns can happen We're just not necessarily going to see it that way because we're the ones living it. Someone else, however, might see it in a completely different way. That's fascinating. I think some of the
0: best, like you were saying, the storytelling is what you're doing. And some of the most popular games in the world are all about interacting with other people. So that makes it more akin to a story of your own life because your own life is not you just going about interacting with robots. It's you interacting with people. It's you... That's, that's what makes it change and makes it volatile. So games like Minecraft and Fortnite are all about the stories that you tell in that weird little microcosm of a video game experience where you have these tools that you're given and then you interact with each other with those tools. Absolutely. So I wonder if there's a way that you can enforce a story on top of that or if that's a, a, a just a fool's errand and if that is even a possibility. And I wonder what the future of AI and... Scripting and getting that down because I've seen some really interesting games. I haven't played them, but I've seen them. So take this with a huge grain of salt, but with interacting with a, a computer script, basically, that you're talking to and it's trying to trick you into thinking that it's like another person. I'm oh, sure. trying to impart the story that way. And it's like puzzle games like that where you're like on a ship and then you're inter- interacting with the AI on the computer. But I wonder if games in the future, a game like The Witcher 4... Or Elder Scrolls 7, you know, will have uh, real-time quests where you're you're given a task to do. But if you do a task in one of the hundreds of ways that you could go about it, because that's real life, you can do things very slowly, very fast, and that will change the outcome. Or you can do things one way or the other, and that will change the outcome. If they'll have the the ability to deliver that story in a way that makes it feel more like I'm not playing the video game, but more that I'm experiencing this story and how that
2: goddamn i can't even imagine how much work that shit would have to be put into it we we also i think would kind of look at it and be like okay i need to make this grand fully realized world with super ai that can react exactly right to all human behavior and that's i've i've heard that that's often like seen as the holy grail but i i think that's wrong i actually cuz all great art is really just highlighting bringing attention to certain little key things and so that th- that reason alone I think makes it possible that games can tell really great stories. We just need to go into it trying to tell really good stories and understanding that they're not gonna tell stories like a movie does.
0: Yeah, because if you're just playing a video game that has a lot of cutscenes, that's just a game with a movie in between. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well and, and think about it though, because
1: I, I think there's still something valid there. You look at games like like God of War, mm-hmm. That was a, a relatively linear game. That was yeah. it was basically fighting set piece to cutscene to fighting set piece in a lot of ways. And it was it, Ocarina of Time writ large,
0: though. Right, but
1: <laughs> but that kind of storytelling for what that is that works. That's what some people want. Yeah. So I think this what you're talking about, Milo, isn't necessarily the next the evolution. It's it's this divergent path of, sort of. and we're mm-hmm. seeing it with 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 the evolution of walking simul- simulators or things like Telltale games where we're getting new ways to tell stories with a level of interactivity that we haven't had before. I think there's another branching path that we're going to go down that is going to potentially influence these other types of games, but not replace them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And my, my goal as a designer isn't to say, Oh, this is better. And this is the next, this is the way that all games are going to do it. Right. That said, I find stories most compelling in games when they are told in this fashion. And so that's, that's what draws me uh, as an open question is how do I how do I create a world that lets you live the story through your actions?
0: Which I think the closest uh, sort of facsimile to that right now is something like immersive sim games like your uh, Deus Ex kind of series or just games that give you a large array of tools and you're allowed to use those tools in a very... It makes sense the way that it works like physics sims kind of games, even something like portal where you're given just this gun and you have these a basic understanding of how gravity works and then you solve puzzles yeah like I feel like that is a good storytelling mechanism in that you're interacting with the environment and you are the one your verbs that you that you push out onto the world is what the story is driven by and sure it's a lot of just like this robot talking to you while you're doing it. <laughs> But that's not really the story of Portal. The story is you doing the thing in Portal. So I think that games
2: like that kind of are the closest to what we have to that right now. I also think Half-Life does a particularly good job of this. I haven't played Half-Life 2 or any of the episodes, but the first one I I was playing just recently, and it does this remarkably well. (laughs) And it, It amazes me that this got done so early and this is still a question of like, is this even possible? Because it is possible. We've done it. We just haven't really elaborated on it. I think.
0: I think. Yeah. I think those are
2: just. They're just. They take a lot of work, and they don't make enough. They don't make enough money to necessitate them being made. So yes, getting shot in the face and uber realistic blood splatters everywhere typically uh, corners the AAA market. A little
1: flashier, right? A little easier to (laughs) to
0: market to to teenagers. But and I understand the evolution of violence in games. It makes a lot of sense from a purely mechanical like standpoint where. I'm playing this game, and there is an obstacle in my way, so the easiest way to continue is to remove the obstacle. Destroy and it! Just, yeah. Right, I mean, j- you jump on a Goomba, and that's violent as hell. You just, <laughs> you just obliterated this little brown creature from existence. Yep. You know? <laughs> so it makes sense that it just progresses and progresses. and. I feel like I'm going to have
1: an existential crisis. <laughs> like I'm going to go to bed tonight just being like... Perfect. Wow, <laughs> those guys had a lot of really good things to say. I have to reevaluate my life, <laughs> <laughs> the way I process things. And the- close your third eye, EJ. <laughs> oh my goodness! I wanna, I wanna branch out and get a little, a little broader. Let me. I gotta readjust my chair here. Briefly, Milo's gotta drink some LaCroix. Woo! So I want to get a little broader with the brief time we have. I think we only have a few minutes left with Nick here. Uh, I know you had a couple of questions to broadly sort of just pick Milo's brain as an aspiring developer and. Sort of what he thinks and how he feels about the current state of, of indie games in the industry, kind of through the lens as a, an aspiring developer and, and doing things on this micro level. We haven't even mentioned, we mentioned on the, on the last pod that you got accepted to DigiPen, but you didn't know what was happening with that, whether you were going to be able to go. Spoiler alert, he's going.
2: <laughs> Is that next week? Yeah. I, I I leave to go move in on Friday night. We'll be moving in Saturday morning. Wow. So that's tomorrow uh, at the time of recording. Oh, it's <laughs> happening, Vila. <Maya>. That's <laughs> not next week at all. Oh, yeah. God. It's now. Yeah. You're gone already.
0: <laughs> oh, So we hardly knew
2: you. Might <laughs> yeah, do a- it's, it's been lovely to see your lovely beard Nick and EJ you're always a delight
1: <laughs> <laughs> well thank you Milo um, we're not going to dive too much into the school thing now I think we should do a follow up pod though after this conversation because this has been great and maybe we'll have to follow up next month <laughs> once you've kind of dipped your toe yeah. and started school but Nick you had a couple questions um, that I think are, are really good and I'd be curious to know what Milo thinks about some of
0: those just as far as, again, the, the current indie space. Right. So, as you know, making video games is easier now than it ever has been before. Which means that anybody can make a video game. Which means everyone is making a video game. Right. Because it's fun and satisfying and you get to put your ideas out in the world. And more creativity, I think, in general, is a good thing. But with that, it also means a flooding of the platforms with a lot of games. And it becomes harder and harder to... Decide what is worth my time and my hard-earned cash. So a lot of ideas have been put out there that certain platforms should be more walled off. It should be harder to get your game onto a PS4, onto a, a Switch, onto an Xbox, onto Steam. Or should it be that anybody can put those games on there and it, they should float by their own merits and it should be... what what is What is the answer to this? Do these platform holders need to curate their... Their platforms more easily? Should there be better algorithms in place that suggest, oh, you like this game? Maybe you should try this game. Is that a fool's errand as well? Because, oh, you like this game? Well, you should buy this game that we sold advertisers like money to put higher up on your recommended lists or what have you. And what does it look like for you thinking ahead the future as someone who wants to make these indie games? And how are you going to market yourself? How do you make that distinction to say hey i want this game to be played by a lot of people clearly because why else would you put a game on steam or on itch or make it available is you want you want people's feedback you want people to enjoy your creation so i guess what are your ideas on the idea of a walled garden community platform and how does an indie get noticed without just striking gold or getting some youtuber to stream their game or paying out the nose for advertisement or a publisher picking it up. I mean, it's just that's a complicated series of questions. And I'm sorry, but I've got a lot of ideas and (laughs) thoughts about this. And I just wanted to get some of your input because you're actually doing the thing. Sure.
2: Now, as far as getting noticed as an indie, I'm afraid I can't answer that because I've just been dabbling uh, so far. I haven't actually gone out and be like, "Okay, I'm now an indie developer and we've got a game and we're going to try and sell it. So as far as that goes, right. I, I, I don't have an answer outside of, I think the singular most important game development skill to have is marketing and luck.
0: Right, and even just networking, I would imagine it would be huge for that. And that's why you get these huge conferences like E3 and GDC and Gamescom and Tokyo Game Show. It's So these people can meet each other because these games are being made by people just hidden behind the, the face of a logo mm-hmm. a and a brand and a corporate entity. You know,
1: I find it interesting how... Like you, you posed the question, like, should it everybody just have access to everything and and, and these games will just the cream will sort of rise to the top, as they say? And I think that is the answer. Like, it's good that this the platform is more ubiquitous and people are able to create however they want to create. I remember having this conversation uh, about music 10, 15 years ago where, holy shit, anybody can just record an album in their garage now and with back when MySpace was big and now we've got Spotify and iTunes, it's it's as easy as clicking a button to get your stuff out there with everybody else. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad it's it's a good thing. The cream will rise to the top. Nick, you, you pose an interesting question with the advertiser. That I think gets murky. I'm of the mind that that whether it's the platforms being more discerning in what they allow on their platforms, right? So Steam not letting certain games if they don't meet whatever requirements. I don't know what those requirements would be. Hopefully it wouldn't be a budget thing. That, I mean, that would be awful, right? That, that's a shitty way of gatekeeping these creations. But I think right the way it works right now is is the good games do get noticed. And maybe, maybe this is anecdotal and you look at, you know, for every uh, Stardew Valley, right? One guy in his bedroom for a decade gets lucky on the internet and now it's the biggest indie game. <laughs> freaking! Well, he didn't
0: just get lucky. He worked his ass off for like
1: ten years. No, like no, 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 no. Again, but there are a lot of people who worked their ass off for a lot of years and just continue working their ass off for a lot of years, right? He got lucky in that he got noticed and had right. had, had not luckily, but he had worked hard to build something worth noticing, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of a, a two sides to it here. But in a way, the current system, I think, that's how it works. If if you have something worth playing, people are going to find it. Um, is that going to always be the case? As, again, as Nick said with the advertise, it's like, you know, intentionally now we're, we're locking people out from ever having... There's no level playing field. If you don't have money, you're never going to get noticed. But things I think companies like what Nintendo's doing with their Nindies where they're all about pushing these games and, and raising awareness for these games. And obviously, it's mutually beneficial here. They've got the, a perfect platform for it, so they want to push these things. But, you know, that's great for these developers who now... Have a, a voice that they never would have otherwise had, because there's this company who really wants as many of these, you know, tiny indie games as possible. Nick, I don't know what what your thoughts are on this. I think the way things are going now, it kind of works, and it makes sense. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of issues I'm totally unaware of because I don't develop games and I'm not in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I might eat some crow if, if one of our listeners says, "Well, actually." This is what's wrong with the industry, and here's why.
0: Well, I think it just, it gets messy just overall. Like, I just think back to, there. this happened recently. There's that uh, game, Donut County, that's been shown at different, like, paxes for the past few years. And it's like, it's sort of similar to Katamari Damashi, where you're, instead of rolling up a big ball, you're making, you're controlling a hole in the ground, and as you drop things into the hole, the hole gets bigger. And you're just trying to drop bigger and bigger things into this hole in the ground. But then that game got copied by some like, conglomerate in China and is on mobile right now. And, that game hasn't, and the original game that's been shown hasn't even come out yet. So there's a bunch of different things that are just problems in general. And idea theft obviously is a bad one. But I'm kind of with you. I think that the majority of people who complain about there being too many games on certain platforms are more... they're more just an old man yelling at the cloud where they're like, things are different now, and I don't like that. But what's different now also is that there are more voices that are saying, hey, this is a good game, you should check it out. There's more advocates. And I think that's important as a consumer to choose which advocates you want to follow. And I think that clearly benefits the the large companies more because they're gonna get the coverage no matter what, based on ad deals and also based on, they have millions of customers already, and it behooves the advocates to talk about those things, so you know, your major like gaming news outlets, no matter what, like people complain, oh, Call of Duty gets too high of a score every year. Well, it's because it's a great game, and they're going to cover it no matter what because millions and millions of people play those games, so they're going to be looking for that coverage. So it's a cyclical kind of thing where they each benefit the other. But with an indie game, like the most you're going to hear about a game might be its review score, or listening to it on a podcast, or Maybe some YouTuber is taking it upon himself to find like one hidden gem that's on on the Switch each week. And they're not getting paid to do that, probably. Like they might get $10 of ad revenue and that pays for the game, but they're doing it because they just love talking about stuff. And more people are plugged in than ever before. And it's just a very difficult, different landscape than 15 years ago where indies weren't nearly as predominant. And the game landscape was just, hey, there's these 10 games that came out this month. And not the 100 that came out today. No, and I don't know. Again, I, I, I am not qualified to even
1: presume to have an answer, right? My arms are on the table again. <laughs> just bad I'm EJ, like, bad. I keep doing that. This is going to be fun to edit. That's dense, Nick.
0: I'm sorry. I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> no,
2: that's, that's great. They're very interesting. Thank that's you for Overwhelming, sharing. Nick. <laughs> I'd like to I, add one more one more piece to that. I absolutely love that it's that game development is now accessible to so many people because I think oftentimes people can sort of get blocked out of, of certain industries based on financial things and this and that and the other. But with so many websites that allow publishing like itch.io and so many different voices that need to be heard, if we're going to actually listen to each other in a, in a country that could really use some listening, uh, this is a wonderful thing to have so many people here making so many games. The flip side of that, of as we've mentioned, is, is quality and like what's actually worth your time and that sort of a thing. And this is why I'm very appreciative of a lot of what the main like AAA developers do. And goes back, I think it was in the 80s, when Nintendo actually had to go save the gaming industry by creating Nintendo quality standards. <laughs> because what was happening was... All of those people had access to game making and they went and they made games and they all got released and there were all these like crappy games on the market and clones and no one could keep track of it and so Nintendo was like no you've got to pass our qualifications if you want to get on our system and then we got much higher quality games right. because of it and so I, mm. I like I like the temperance of that but of course you can start running into some some issues with getting noticed and and depending on who's holding what the qualifications are, you could potentially run into stuff like that. Uh I, I may or may not have mentioned on, on this podcast before, but I'm deeply interested in running a triple A game company myself. Uh and I I'm lucky to be both young and naive enough to be just stupid enough to not really know what goes into that and also just stupid enough to want to do it anyways. <laughs> the perfect razor's edge. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so Going into something like that, I'd love to start my own AAA company that can also find the the types of creators that resonate strongly because it's, it's not really my goal as a game developer to sell a game to everyone. It's to sell a game to the right people, to the people that uh, want games that talk about our lives, that really get us to dig into maybe some of the things we don't always want to look at in our own lives because to me, those are always the most life-changing works of art and i think there there is a growing sp- like space in the market for that
0: i mean microsoft just bought ninja theory at e- like it was announced at e3 two months ago so i feel like like studios that can make high quality high budget games that aren't necessarily clinging to the same mold of what we're used to they're not the lowest common denominator kind of seeking games i think those Will have a growing place in the the industry in the market as a large as a whole. Milo, before we go, we we we'd never wrap back around to this.
1: <laughs> My elbows on the table again. You look right at it, man. You just <laughs> lasered in on it. Um, tell us what where the ferns don't grow is about. Not Nick and I. I'm sure we both have two different interpretations based on the experiences we had, which were two relatively different experiences. But just because we didn't touch on this, what what is the story you're telling and and how do the decisions that you made in developing the game the mechanics the atmosphere how and why did those play
2: into the the story first and foremost as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Where the ferns don't grow is really a game about taking responsibility for your life. And I don't mean that in like, oh, I'm a free spirit. I don't need to do the dishes or what have you. (laughs) I mean that... Me. Yes. I mean that we all have these beautiful, beautiful lives to live. And so often we throw those by the wayside because we're we're sort of run by our thoughts a lot of the time, right? There's... uh, I don't know. Sally dumped me when I was twelve, and because of that, I refused to buy popcorn because she really liked popcorn. And you know, these things build on each other, and suddenly you hate the world because Sally liked popcorn, and this Which is just ridiculous. <laughs> right, right, right. We and get so, caught up in the minutia of these little things that on their own don't matter, but the way they
1: snowball impact our lives, and and so it's hard to sort of look at that bigger picture.
2: Right, and so really, this game is about uh, what what would it be like if you didn't put in the work. For your own life, and and of course, this is done metaphorically through putting in the work of of discovering where where ping pong goes and getting ping pong home. Uh, what if what if you didn't do the work in your life that you needed to work past any of the any of the the stuff that you're holding on to internally? What if you didn't do the work? And EJ, as as you saw, wasn't very satisfying. I did plenty of
1: work. <laughs> I just it was not directed. <laughs> appropriately apparently <laughs> i worked my ass off getting that and then i planted all these seeds talk about metaphor for
2: life i was planting these seeds and it led to nothing exactly exactly and yet there was there was still something more right net necessary again apparently <laughs> yeah yeah and so it's really about uh, how how deep are you willing to go how much work are you willing to put into going that deep to live this big beautiful life that we've been given so first and foremost, that's what the game's about. Secondly, just, I mean, it's a platformer where you throw blocks to jump on things. That's, I mean, it could be anything. It's just, it's kind of arbitrary. It's it's a means to tell this story, which has this underlying subtext. And this is just something that uh, was familiar enough to me where I was like, I could probably make a game about this. Yeah. <laughs> I like that because the, the story is the what you do and it's also the why you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And I, again, that's, that's really for me. I mean, now we're talking about what makes a good story. All of the stories that are deeply impactful are about subtext. They don't, they don't and, and especially the ones that don't lay it out for you. They give you all the pieces, but they don't give you the answer because it's more important that you come to the answer yourself. And a really great story is going to let you do that.
0: Yeah, it has to it has to wink and nudge just softly enough that you think that you thought it yourself. Exactly, Inception.
2: And
1: on that Whoa. note,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Hans Zimmer just infecting me.
1: That was that Hans Zimmer. Note. Amazing. Is that right? Yeah,
0: Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he did all the Chris Nolan movies. I'm pretty sure. Almost positive. Amazing. But you're
1: correct. Anyway, it is getting late. I think it's time for us to wrap this up. This has been a very enlightening conversation. Philosophically, I'm way way over my head. So I'm gonna eat some ice cream and cry. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for the time. This hopefully will work out in post. I'm gonna edit this thing together and hopefully everything works with this janky setup. That I just took a picture. I'll, I'll tweet this out to you guys. Find us on Twitter at console underscore crusade. My elbow's on the damn table again, and Miles hitting me. Damn it, Miles! Can't pet it. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at eJiggle. Find Nick at Press Death. Milo, where can we find you? Where can where can these fine listeners follow your
2: journey <laughs> as you go to college and continue to develop video games? Oh shoot! I guess I have to pick one now. Why don't you go look for me on Twitter? I'm Kilo K P H. That's K I L O K P H. Bam! Future developer Perfect. right here, big time. Current developer, not
1: future developer. Future triple A developer. <laughs> All right, gonna own your own company one day. <laughs> I'll be be able to say I remember when, you know? <laughs> right? And then I'll hire you. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. I'll do I'll do all your marketing. There you go. All right, this will be a brilliant tag team. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, we we didn't do a a listener question thing this week because we are recording well before our our planned recording date. So next podcast we will definitely be doing that. Send us feedback, questions, concerns, but primarily questions for for listener criticisms. Men. Yeah. Comments. Right. Critiques. Right. You could, you wouldn't be insulting me on my haircut right now, but luckily none of y'all can see me. I can see it. I can, I can question it. Hey. <laughs> uh, you can email us at feedback at consolecrusade.com. Hit us up. Hit our line. All right. Follow us on Twitter. Don't follow me on Twitter. I'll block you. Follow Nick on Twitter. Follow Milo on Twitter. Milo, thank you for, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for... Um,
0: for cooperating with this nonsense as we set things up. and Yeah, thanks for your time. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of janky, but also appreciate you, EJ, for getting this all ham, ham-fisted together or whatever. <laughs> we, we, we made it work. We'll do a follow-up pod next month, the next
1: two months after you're kind of in school. I'd be curious to see how your perspective changes once you're in the thick of it, surrounded by mm-hmm. other aspiring developers, your teachers, mentors who are doing it and have done it. So... Uh, we'll be sure to follow up with you in the future. So, this has been the Cops Crusade. My elbows are on the fucking table. Woo, feels good.